quarter to three movie podcast for Embrace of the Serpent. My name is Tom Chick, and I've brought along with me to discuss this movie, Christian Marskliskli. Uh, you can just call me the world mover. And with our Embrace of the Serpent tagline, or two, or maybe three, Kelly Wand. This spring break's about to get hotter. Come out with your music. Okay. Hmm. All right, you're going. Stoniest jungle movie about race relations I've seen since Warcraft. I can't think about that one. Okay, processing, processing. Okay, it's better. Than, I understand. Unlike the first one, I kind of understand that one. Do you have a, a three for Caduceus Ex Machina? <laughs> that's good, man. That's pretty obscure, but good. I like that. Um, and also, that's how you pronounce that word. X. <laughs> I don't know. I just read it. I don't. I know how to say what I write, Tom. That's a different. Sure. Skill. I thought it was like, like caduceus. Caduceus. Like it rhymes with elucius. Yeah. I don't know. I like to make it as long sounding as possible. Right. Right. Just make it as convoluted. Right. Make it like something you have to pronounce in Latin school. But people say Deus ex machina, or are we just all saying it wrong because we just like that. How else would you say it? Deus ex machina. Nobody says Deus ex machina. What's the matter with you, Deus? <laughs> like Deuce Bigelow? No, but EU in Latin is... You're saying Caduceus. Say Caduceus again? <laughs> Caduceus. Caduceus. <laughs> so you're Italianing right. it. Well, Italy is... I, uh, uh, did, no. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, while, while Kelly Wan and I are engaging in a battle of wits, why don't you give it some, some form, some context, maybe a little structure? Yeah, Latin, I see what you're saying. How am I going to do this? You tell us. We're, that, we're oh, uh, yeah. at your disposal, yeah. Oh, uh, in the form of a contest, perhaps? Sure, if that's what you got mm. for us, yeah. I couldn't even figure out what you guys were saying with the caduceus thing. It's what you call the snake on the the little... It's the symbol of Hermes, and it means doctors yeah. and whatnot. That whole snake on the pole thing, which makes it sound like a stripper snake, but that's not what it is. Right, it's caduceus. I was just messing with you. Anyway, uh, see Kelly Wand, I win according to Dingus, Dingus already. What, what else can I win against Kelly Wand, Dingus? Uh, okay, now you guys can uh, try to contend for a plot summary from IMDb. How about that? Okay. All right. Uh, so one of you guys, one or you, one or the other, guess correctly. Mm-hmm. The other one guess incorrectly, please. Um, and this is a plot summary from the IMDb. Here you go. Mm-hmm. An eccentric scientist. Medicine man. Yep. Are you serious, Dingus? You are so predictable. Seriously. I was going to say Crusoe. <laughs> <laughs> Based on what I heard. Are you serious, Dingus? Seriously? Sure. Oh, I'm disappointed in both of us. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you for not letting me read anything other than two words, but yeah. I was really this thinking about well, that. And we can be... talk about that later. You guys need to get it. He's my under. Oh my God, he's stealing my under and he's using it for yeah, the movie. He's own the movie. And I've actually seen the movie, so yeah, I, I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a worthy under. Well, it's my under, and I've never even seen it, so there. Well, good for you. I'm living with you in the jungle. The hell you are. I'm a woman. The hell you're not. He says stuff like that in it. That's the worst Sean Connery I've ever heard. Considering how awesome your Ben Foster was last week, Kelly Wand. I don't know what's going well, on with your Sean Connery. You need to work on it. Polish it up. Bring it back. Try it again. Next what about week. the Connery? <laughs> Uh, Dingus, without ruining anything for the listener, 
Tell them sale. what movie we saw without giving away any spoilers. Well, this week we saw Embrace of the Serpent, a 2016 Colombian adventure drama history movie about moving a smaller boat for even less rubber. It was directed by Sir Guerra and written by him based on the diary of <clears throat> Theodore Koch Grunberg and the diary of Richard Evans Schultes and Jacques Tilende Vidal. It stars uh, Nilbio Torres, Antonio Bolivar, Jan Bilvoyet, and Brian Davis. Mm. Kelly Wand, which of those actors is your favorite? The last one. Yeah, yeah Brian Davis is really awesome in this. Uh, Embrace of the Serpent is rated, not rated. What? I know, it's hard to believe. For what reason, Stingus? <laughs> what does the MPA say about why they're not I rated? I love the ones they don't rate. <laughs> It's, it's rated not rated because it wasn't really released in any way that the MPA would want to rate something. The white man's ratings don't matter for this movie, people. All right. Kelly Wand, what would, if, if you were to rate this movie, what sort of uh, disclaimers would you issue to parents so they know what to look out for? I'd, le- I'd alert them to the fact that it has subtitles, some black and white, and plant burning. Or as Oscar uh, would say, plant burning. <laughs> That's one of the few things that makes me super glad I saw uh, the Warcraft movie. Yeah. You're Ben Foster. I can't wait for us to do more Ben Foster movies. We should just do a, a string of Ben Foster movies, like The Mechanic and The Messenger and Pandorum, so we can see some more of that uh, that fantastic actress, Angie Trow. He was in X-Men and as an angel, wasn't he? The first. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Not an angel, just angel. Right. It's, like yeah. the vampire. Like you're, uh, it's not like there's a ton like of angels running Kelly around. He's one of them. Um, and then we can do 310 to Yuma. I was angel. Am. <laughs> I brought can you not use the present tense? What? There's another... Isn't there a new yeah. angel, though? Like, I didn't see the X-Men movie. You guys did. Apocalypse. Who's the new angel? He has, like, a tough angel. Ew. Okay. Dingus sounds really pissed off about it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on from the angel discussion, Tom. I think we pinched it. All right. Embrace of the Serpent uh, <laughs> didn't really have a, a release in the U.S., so there's no box office to speak of. It was, however, nominated for Best Foreign Language Film in the uh, for the Academy Awards. Didn't win. I forgot what won. What won this year, Dingus? Do you know? You, came, you keep up on that stuff. For Best Foreign Language Film? Oh, good yeah. Lord. I have no idea. Birdman. Okay. <laughs> oh, see what I did there. Uh, it on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it's at eighty-two. On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive of Embrace of the Serpent, ninety-nine percent of the reviews. Of say every hundred review written, there's one guy who's like, eh, no. Ninety-nine percent. Eighty-two is the weird one that? to me. Uh, yeah, well. A lot of people liked it, but they only liked it 82. Oh, so it's not 18% of the people spit. That, you, yeah, Kelly Wand, I, how many years have we been in the podcast? Like 12? I never, and you still haven't figured out the difference I between Medicare and I always try and pay attention. And it doesn't well, work? Well, yeah. And then I, I don't even make it to you read it, like describe it. Well, you do a lot of paying attention when you write a synopsis for us. Oh. So, Kelly Wand, I would like you to recount for us the plot of Embrace of the Serpent in what you are going to call something that Dingus is going to tell us right now with a guess for what the synopsis is called. Dingus, take it away. What is it called this week? 
Embrace of the Slopsis. <laughs> Wait, Slopsis? Yeah, why not? You just put an L in there? Yeah, why not? Jesus. All right. Sidebar and Germanic dote. Last week at work, a German receptionist asked me, so you're going to watch the football game tonight? I was all, oh, you mean soccer? That game that always ends in 0-0 ties? She was all, Ugh. I was all, who's playing? She's all, Germany versus Poland. I'm all, oh, grudge match. She was all, Ugh. I was all, so which one should I root for? She was all, Ugh. spoiler alert, it was 0-0. Some words quote something. I save time by just skipping to the very end, which I guess is the author's name. I fumble for my pen to write it down, but didn't bring one. A South American jungle resident summons a boat by making irritated noises with his stick. His Uncle Tom Indian friend, Tom, paddles up with a tired-looking bearded white person from 1905 in tow. The white man looks like James Woods if you crushed his head in a drill press. The jungle residents all... Stop your boat, I'll shoot. He puts a blowpipe to his nose. Tom's all, you must be Karamanake, the mover of Earths. My white friend is sick. The jungle resident blinks, then sticks his blowpipe in the white man's mouth and spits sharply. The white man's unconscious eyelids tremble. Some words and subtitles are all embrace of the Serpsis. A modern person paddles up to the now elderly jungle resident in the same boat. The modern person's all... Wow, you've been standing here all these years. Don't you have better things to do than helping white men show up you can assist? Speaking of which, I need your help. But don't worry, I just want you to help me find a drug, and I'm willing to pay for it. He hands the Indian two $1 bills. You see, I have the worst disease of all. I can't dream. Uh, this money's only good in America, by the way. The Indian's all. This stuff you call money. Can it swim? If not, what use is it? The white person nods in resignation while somber tom-toms play. Mel Gibson, dressed as an Aztec priest sitting next to me, leans over and goes, This white character looks like that guy from the second Planet of the Apes. I'm all. There's more than one Planet of the Apes movie? Mel Gibson stares at me while more somber tom-tom music plays. We flash back to 1908 when Madanaki took the first white man to go see his friends. All night long, the native chieftain's kids all make the white man set bowels to music. The next morning, the tribe gathers on the shore to see their visitors off. The white man's all, Well, Chief Momo Heine, my stay here was an unexpected pleasure. We're not so different, you and I. In fact, I have a dream that my children will one day live in a nation where they'll be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He sighs, clasps his heart with fondness, then frowns and starts patting all his pockets. He's all, All right, which one of you little fuckers snake my compass? <laughs> he whips out a knife. The natives all grin and whistle innocently, looking heavenward. He's all, uh-uh, don't give me that hear-no-evil routine. My specialty's botany. Eventually, his friends get him to return to the boat. That day while they row, Madanaki laughs at James Woods' paddling technique. <laughs> to try and fit in with the group, James Woods forces a smile and goes, I guess you could say my specialty's either-ors. You know, since my uh, minor's in grammar... His efforts are met with more derision. After they dock, in keeping with native tradition, they make the white guy carry all their luggage. Then they visit a bamboo graveyard tended by an excitable one-armed man. Later, over a montage of the Indians chasing him laughing through the jungle with the paddles on fire while James Woods looks terrified, James Woods' wife writing voiceovers all, Gertrude's sweetest, 
This jungle laughs at me and pulls down my pants, pointing. I'm sure you can relate. It is like a forest here, only much more humid. We travel endlessly down this Conradian Twainian river, searching for the miracle substance. Or better yet, somewhere less humid. I mean, Jesus, there's got to be a better way to make rubbers. Speaking of which, Wilhelm wrote me that you're seven months pregnant, which filled my heart with joy, until I recalled that I've been away from you now for ten months. So what's up with the... He looks over to see his Indian companions laughing and pointing at him. He's all, what's so funny? Madanaki's all, you look like you're going to cry. Who gets sad writing? He's all, it just so happens I love my wife, and in my culture we express love through sobbing while scribbling text. I wouldn't expect you thong-wearing savages to understand. Madanaki's all, hey, when you get back to white man, Bill, try not to cry too much when you write me. He and Tom high-five and point some more at James Woods. James Woods is all, damn your earlobe pegs, I'll show you my manhood. He gets out a fresh sheet of paper and writes, dearest Madanaki, I found what you said on the canoe just now quite hurtful. He starts tearing up, yet erotic. He sobs. As he breaks down completely, they cackle and point. The afternoon passes in chants of merriment and wails of grief, eventually drowned out by contemplative tom-toms. Over a montage of him shredding sheets of paper, teeth clenched with rage, Gertrude, my pigeon, last night the boys tried to get me to loosen up by taking drugs and passing out face first in a campfire. I haven't thrown up so much since our wedding night. Damn it, these two heathens, they're laughing at me again. It's like the closing shot of a gear of the wrath of God on this raft, day and night. Uh, wait, this is only 1904, my love. Forgive me. Soon, my rascally comrades jeer, we will arrive at our destination. Unfortunately, those idiots persuaded me to shed all luggage in order to appease the jungle spirits or something. I neglected to tell them that I'd put all our food in there for safekeeping. Now we are starving. Fortunately, a mission with a bronze plaque that says this is where Pizarro introduced the Incas to the virtues of capitalism is sliding past. Hopefully, this place has some corn dogs or something. I'm so hungry right now I could eat your cooking. Ha ha. Pat young Adolf for me, and tell him Papa will be home when he can't take it anymore. Regards, the 1908 white botanist character. 1908. Morose tom-toms play. The next day, over a montage of various sections of the canoe, his voiceovers all. Broomhilda, my sweet, I hope Gertrude doesn't find out about us. Regards, etc., 1908. Yet more tom-toms play over a montage of James Woods, paddling in the wrong direction while the Indians laugh at the canoe just to switch things up. Dearest Gertrude, my humblest apologies for accidentally mailing you Broomhilda's letter yesterday saying I hope you don't find out about us. That was a dreadful mistake. On to lighter things. Today we finally had a pleasant day for once. Guess what we found in the jungle today? Nope, a church. It had a congregation of local children, very well groomed, who sang with the sweetest voices. A kindly old bald friar with a shotgun runs the establishment. He made us feel right at home with his funny looks, violent nature, and jolly rage. But don't ask me his recipe for chicken soup. I think he just wings it. Ha ha. <laughs> if anything uh, marred our blissful interlude, it was when Madanaki took it into his sinful page boy head to show the kids how to pick berries from bushes and eat them. Jesus. As if that wasn't bad enough, he told them the juice is the sun's semen. I wish he'd at least have mentioned the moon is hardly chased with respect to vegetable intimacies. But you of all people know of which nectar I speak. Anyway, my pointing out all this, despite the help of visual aid, served only to confuse the old man, so we left him to his whipping lessons. With any luck, we'll pass by this place again someday and see how fondly the children remember our funny visit and hilarious misunderstandings. I'll write more after the next scene. Be sure, as always, to burn this correspondence. I think that stupid mistress of mine suspects something. Regards, Dr. 1908 character botanist. P.S. Lately feels more like botanist. <laughs> J.K. 
We flash forward 500 years to the modern day as the Planet of the Apes guy and the older Mononake return to the burned remnants of the mission. Mononake's all. Okay, whatever you do, don't mention the sun seaman here. An old man will go batshit with a whip. The white man's all. Yeah, yeah. As they approach the charred ruins, they see a crucified native wearing a placard with the word Jacobo scrawled in blood. A bunch of creepy adults wearing kid clothes with Bible verses on them show up with spears and make them come talk to their leader, Adam Driver, who greets them by eating some baby cartilage and saying, <laughs> This is the body of Christ. <laughs> a guard whispers in Planet of the Apes guy's ear, That's how I'd be if my wife got sick. Matanaki leans in and whispers back to the guard, White men in flashback cry while writing healthy wife. The guard snickers and they fist bump. The cultists show apes the dying wife. He's all. The slavey needs to go to a hospital. Matanaki rolls his eyes, makes his all handle this look, squirts smoke into the wife's unconscious nostrils and distributes a drug to the Catholic tribespeople, which promptly has them cannibalizing and raping each other and setting everything on fire. Matanaki's all. It feels good to redress the trouble I caused the last time I was here, and leads apes back to the boat. As Tom Toms play, there's a transition to the 1908 canoe while James Wood sits in it, writing, Dearest Brunhilde, last night I accidentally mailed you Gertrude's letter by mistake. Please just tear that up without reading it. There's nothing in there that would interest you. Today I asserted my authority over my red friends by ignoring their insistence that the fish in the river was poisonous. You should have seen the grins on their primitively shaped skulls while I chomped down on a raw piranha's fins. Take that, Sacagawea. On the downside, the fish may be violently ill, and I spent the next three hours throwing up all over Matanaki. You also should have seen his face while an Indian gave him a picture of himself. When will these barbarians learn? Tom Tom's play as the canoe paddles into the smog of modern day. While Planet of the Apes listens to a gramophone record of flapper trumpets, elderly Matakamba picks up a map and throws it in the fucking creek. Apes is all, finally you get it! Later, hmm, this white stuff leaking out of the tree tastes like what I'm partly hoping it is. Oh yeah, Matanaki, I was kidding when I told you I couldn't dream. I'm actually here to get rubber from these trees, because there's a war on against Indians. Actually, forget that part. You don't even know who. Anyway, thank you for your service. Your country salutes my country. Your regular Gunga Den. Now, the next thing I need from you, some buckets. A white man lied to us. I never expected such a thing. Well, like I said, we prefer the term kidding. Look, I don't have time for your jibber-jabber. Now, just take me to your magic rubber tree, or I'll introduce you to something else a white man invented, the knife. Katamanaki sighs. Finally, they get to the tree. Katamanaki lights his lighter. Apes is all, wait! Can't we just go one place where you don't set things on fire? Katanaki's all, no. Also, the jaguar came to me and told me to use the last plant in existence to get you stoned, so that you may understand it last. The white man sighs. He's all, well, it's not exactly what I came for, but he uses his knife to pry open his nostril extra wide. Katamanata sticks his pipe in and spits violently. Apes tumbles to the dirt. He has visions of the constellations, and Katanaki is a sun demon. Eventually, he wakes up to find himself all alone in the grass. He's all, wow. A general walks up to him. He's all, well, Professor, did you find the magic Indian? He's all, yeah. The general's all, did he give you the rubber we need? Apes is all, no. But he gave me something more important, perspective. The general's all, well, what should I tell the president? Apes is all, here. He squirts the contents of the nostril into the general's face. The general slides to the dirt and ponders the constellations. Eventually, he's all, Man, everything that's ever happened, so much of it's just dust changing temperature. Apes is all, Matakamba! Matakamba comes out from some bushes, TP fluttering from his loincloth. He's all, What? 
the end. <laughs> Halfway through, I understood the planet. You, so the guy looks like Jason Clark is what yeah. you mean. I see. I was thinking you thought the original guy looked like Charlton Heston. No, that's James I Woods. I got them confused. See, it's James Woods. I, I totally, when I was watching, I was like, that's what Kelly Wand would look like if he was an Amazonian explorer. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Every time the guy was on screen, I was like, hey, it's Kelly Wand. Yep. <laughs> what do you think of that, Kelly? I'm going to put that in your pipe and smoke Well, it. I saw other similarities, but not that one. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, all right. Uh, someone go first. What, what, what do you guys make of this, this movie, this Colombian film? It's black and white and foreign and over two hours long? Um, I liked it. Huh. I approve of Embrace of the Serpent. Dingus, where do you fall on Embrace of the Serpent? I, I love the ideas in it. It's a tough movie to watch. Hmm. Interesting. Kelly Wan, what do you make uh, of that? Well, oh. you know, I was watching it uh, while, um, you know, while my son was around and trying to watch it. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm watching this movie. You're not going to want to watch this movie. Believe me. Uh, this is like the second time I'm watching it. Um, and he's like, how can we say a movie is good and still say it's tough to watch? And so I had to sort of explain to him why, you know, when you're breaking down something that's a little more difficult and a little more difficult to um, ascertain what the ideas are and how you feel about the ideas, that sometimes that those ideas are difficult and sometimes they're difficult to process. Sometimes they feel uncomfortable for you, but that doesn't mean it's a it's a thing you don't like or that's it's a thing of, of little value. So it's just interesting to hear 11, an 11-year-old go, uh, how can you say that's difficult to watch and still it's a good thing? The thing is, this movie isn't rated, so there's nothing objectionable to children in it. Why didn't you watch this with your son? Because uh, he would have been bored out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> you made him watch the X-Men yeah, movie exactly. of X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah, that can't be any worse. Well, it, for me, it was. <laughs> How did you feel about it, Tom? Uh, I'm not sure I cared for it. I would be one of those 1% on Rotten Tomatoes. Been like, nah, man. Uh, <laughs> I, um, it, it reminded me a lot of movies that I do like, but my problem with it is it's, it's told from the perspective of a culture that I don't understand, that I have no real connection the with. The white botanist? So I get this. Uh, no, no, I don't. I think it's uh, from Karamakate's culture. Oh. Like, this is obviously an ethnographer's movie. It's, it's basically a movie made by a Ch- Chilean, Colombian? Colombian. Colombian, right. A Colombian director who wanted to honor the native cultures that existed in his country at one time and, and are basically vanished from the face of the earth. So he took these journals written by these explorers slash ethnographers slash botanists, um, and he spun out a story from the perspective of one of these natives. And I just had no real connection with it. It didn't really do much for me. Um, I love, love, love stories about white men that get lost in the jungle, Agera, Wrath of God, Vinyan, uh, you know, Apocalypse Now, Sorcerer, even, uh, my, over, uh, my, my Over, which uh, is a movie you guys have probably never heard of, which I, I want to talk about in a little bit, I really like a lot. Um, but this, this was kind of a, a movie about a native looking at uh, two... Like, there's this idea of, of two forms of the same person. There's all this kind of um, uh, metaphysics from the perspective of South American aboriginal cultures <laughs> that I didn't quite get. All the stuff about the Chilachaqua and how he connected the two white men and white men being crazy and his whole 
obvious uh, – his opinion of what this flower was they were looking for and all the stuff about the world maker and the jaguar and the serpent and um i'm afraid all this just bounced off of me and like dingus is saying you know dingus characterizes it as being hard to watch i just found it being of no relevance to me whatsoever um and so therefore i, I don't think i liked it uh, yeah mm. so i feel like a jerk saying that because it's kind of cool to to want to honor civilizations that have been wiped out and that there are no traces of. It's a noble pursuit, uh, but I feel like a jerk didn't do anything but, for me. But you it's, feel like a jerk, at least, because you realize it's obviously a work of passion, like the guy made it. I, you know, you say a work of passion, but I... What, what is that documentary about the guy studying the, like, fast, cheap, out of control, something? It's a documentary about three very different occupations... And what makes the documentary interesting, and I distinctly remember one of the subjects of the documentary was a guy studying naked mole rats. Uh, and the, the subject matter is of no interest whatsoever to me, and it might even be an Errol it is, Morris It is Errol Morris. You're right. Yeah. And the whole point of that documentary is what's engaging about it is that the people who are the subject of the documentary are passionate about something, regardless of whether or not you are as an audience member. So I think that if uh, Chilo Guerra, is that he said his name, Dingus? Uh, the director? I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly. I have no idea. But what I said was, uh, it's Chiro, Chiro, uh, C-I-R-O, Guerra. But uh, if, if he had been more, like, I, it felt a little dispassionate, really, like a little bit cold, a little bit analytical. Um, wow, that's really I amazing. I never really got into Karamakate's head. I never quite understood what he was thinking, and I'm not, I didn't get the sense the hmm. director did or was expressing it very well. So, I, I, you say it's a work of passion, but I just, didn't, I got into it. I thought he was pissed off. I thought he was enraged. And it's a very, it seems like kind of a heartless movie. Like, there's just no redeeming the white man. So, I kind of liked that. It's just a really bitter <laughs> pill. Like, what happens to those kids in the mission? I thought that was really weird. And like a really strange, but and it's in very, it's really just too spelled out, kind of, I guess, maybe. But um, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Too spelled out? What do you mean? Um, it's like a to bring it back the yeah, point to the apes. Yeah, it just seems like that's what would happen. <laughs> Don't do that, please, Kelly Wand. Jeez, <laughs> they're like the Star Trek kids. Like if you oh leave my kids God. in the Bible, and <laughs> no, go back and yeah, it's getting better and better. <laughs> It's, they're kind of like the mean basically to worship the atom bomb in the second Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> do, you, do you basically mean about the idea that the church is evil yeah. and subverted native beliefs? And sure, sure. I mean, and it's definitely like, uh, I, yeah, you know, when we when we introduce the mission with in the foreground the the hooks hanging from chains and the stockade sort of dangling in the in front of the courtyard. Uh, which I'm okay with, by the way. I mean, the church did some brutal things. The church did some wonderful things, by the way. To, uh, not to uh, them, uh, though. No, absolutely to them. What are you talking about? No. Um, people remember, even the, by the way, the rubber barons. The rubber barons basically brought. There, there were abusive rubber barons, and the rubber, the you know, the the rubber trade 
was hugely damaging to certain native cultures. But the rubber trade also brought a lot of money, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of employment to some natives for, for all these terrible abuses. Like, I'm going to sound like the weird guy defending cotton plantations in the South, and I don't mean for it to be like that. But not every rubber baron was hacking the limbs and blinding uh, men and shooting them. Uh, that definitely happened, and some entire uh, tribes were wiped out. But that wasn't how all uh, the rubber barons worked. I mean, imperialism is a distasteful thing, but imperialism actually did help parts of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that, that Britain brought to brutal tribal cultures a sense of the rule of law is something that I think is widely overlooked. Um, and I, again, don't mean to downplay the abuses of colonialism, imperial thought, of European hegemony and these native cultures, but it wasn't, and I'm kind of just agreeing with you, Kelly Wand, it wasn't all the church whipping little boys and rubber barons hacking the limbs off of natives. Um, so, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this movie should be fair or should be impartial or should give us a, a, a more fair view, but I'm kind of like with you, Kelly Wand, there, and that I just feel like it was, it was just this, yeah, yeah, terrible things happen to these people. Here's a perspective it's on human him. centipede. It's like if you take a joke in a bar and just expand it to movie length. Uh, I'm the, not if, quite sure. If I'm, you left those kids alone with a Bible and you killed the priest, then they'd live, but they would just like ha in, have all these rituals and stuff. And cannibalize. Well, I did like this idea. Well, yeah, I mean, and yeah, I don't, yeah like that, and, and is, I don't is that based on anything? Like, is that particular? Was there an instance that oh, then a guy came back to a mission and then he found that they like syncretized? That's uh, I don't know, and I I do know that uh, the director took these took these stories from the journals of these two explorers, right. you know, the the guy in 1909 and the guy in whatever that was 1950. So I don't know if that particular account came from. Uh, one or the other of them. I kind of doubt that it actually played out that way, but it's a fascinating concept. By yeah. the way. I would, frankly, rather have seen a, a, a movie just uh, focused on that. You know, that's kind of the cool thing about A Guerra Wrath of God and Fitzcarraldo is that Werner Herzog really has a laser focus on, on one incident. It's not this, you know, you used the word Twainian earlier, Kelly Wand. It's not this uh, adventures down a river and let's meet wacky people along the way. That's not really what Werner Herzog was doing. Werner Herzog was kind of having a laser focus on this one character's madness. Um, so as a story, that's kind of cool. And that's one of the things that this structure gives us, this idea of here's what happened to these children after they grew up. Uh, well, and yeah. that's what I like about this movie is it's kind of rough around the edges in that way. But it def I definitely wasn't expecting it to be that kind of a movie and it to be that, like... Obvious, because all the all their adventures down the down the river are sort of the same in theme. Like they're all just kind of bummers, basically. But that was the weirdest one, because that guy hadn't seen them before, <laughs> so he doesn't even know what's going on there. But the Indian does. I don't know. Like there's just it's a weird movie. I think that's why I liked it. Maybe. Because you started to say something before, and I, I sort of just trammeled over your, your comment, but you were just going to say something about whether or not this was a passionate project. Like, I, I sort of didn't feel personally a lot of the director's passion. Where, did you sort of feel like with Kelly Wan that this was like a passion project? Did that come out? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm surprised to hear you guys say, and even Kelly, who appears to like it, say it, it has no heart, um, which I think I feel like 
absolutely the opposite of. Um, first of all, just to, you know, Kelly brought up Star Trek for some reason, um, which, yeah, you did. You mentioned Star Trek for some reason, but there's a good reason you did because there's a moment, there's a prime directive moment in this movie. The nerds on this podcast. That I oh. absolutely love. <laughs> And I, I like. I'm glad you bring this up, because I don't hear you talk about this. Because there, it, there's, it does a weird flip flop thing. I think. But go ahead. So there's that movie that are that that moment that I really loved. That whole thing with the with the compass, where he's like, uh, "This is going to ruin the things that these people. They they already have this this whole rich cultural heritage that this this way of navigating. And I'm going to." Uh, to totally take this away from them if they if they take this this piece of equipment from me and and um, and uh, Karamakate says you know learning is for everyone stop it yeah <laughs> we're, we're not children this is not the prime directive they, they are not children learning is for everyone let them have it and they it's magnetism um, so so but, so just real quick I think this movie has. An, an incredible heart and an, an incredible amount of passion. This whole thing about about dreams and ideas and stories and what that means. And beyond that, th- th- this whole idea about things and whether or not things matter and what and what things do matter and what, what why those things are important and and why it's two different timelines. Um, I think those things are extremely passionate and important especially the those ideas of of these guys figuring out what what is a dream and what is not a dream and and why can't i dream and and how do i achieve a dream and and should i try to attain dreams both both the idea of dreaming as a concept of what happens when you go to sleep and having a dream that you are trying to reach toward and and then the whole idea of of this overlaying concept of how the, how the white is it is it, the white can't be taught anything, and if he cannot be taught anything, and the, and these two characters contending to to try to teach the white something, and if if we cannot do this based on these timelines, then not only will we be destroyed, but everything will be destroyed. Um, I I I think it's it's it, it's a hugely universal concept. Maybe universal is the wrong word, but it, it's certainly trenchant for what we're going through and what we're seeing the the forests and the Amazon go through. Um, I, I found all of that fascinating. So where where that lost me is uh, that, that first of all, it made no sense this idea that if they have a compass, they will lose touch with stellar navigation. Uh, that right there, like like. I love the guy that I love the idea that the guy wanted to respect their requests based on culture, like that he respected the request of Karamakate not to eat, which that's folly. I mean, he's, he's sick, he's weak, but he, he, even to his own detriment, is willing to respect Karamakate's request. Uh, when he goes to the mission, he is willing to respect the uh, that uh, Franciscan friar's request not to speak a pagan language. Like that was really cool. This idea that he will respect these cultures. But it makes no sense to not give a culture a compass, to not teach them navigation that works even when it's cloudy, for instance. That's like saying you don't want to give a culture penicillin 
because it will undermine the shaman's mm. uh, belief no, system. I think those are two. No, technology. Those are two the technology of a compass. Those are two very different things. You're dealing with. Nope. Yes, the you're technology dealing with of an idea, compass. and you're dealing with medicine. Those are two different things. It, it's like the uh, navigation is not an idea. Being and having to... short-term memory. Navigation is not an idea, Dingus. Being able to find your way around the world, especially if you're going to travel distances, is not right. an idea. It's as right. crucial as right. medicine Using for, for a health. given tool to do it rather than using the, the thing that you know how to do, uh, that you've learned that's been passed down from your forefathers is different. It's, and this is, this is a, a totally banal way of looking at it. But, you know, I used to be able to come up with the idea. I mean, if somebody said, hey, who was that actor who played such and such? I'd come up with that like that. IMDb means I don't have to, and I and I've lost that part of my memory in a lot of ways. I mean, and and again, that's that's totally banal, but it it means that their culture is losing that part of their memory. But that's different from teaching from giving somebody penicillin, Tom. That's those are different. No, thing is science is science. The knowledge no, that science, science brings, science. the knowledge you don't, you don't just it's, it's like just randomly drawing a line. There's a trade-off, sure, but there's a trade-off between superstition and and yeah. science, for instance. But I saw uh, this idea. This idea, though, that a compass is somehow going to damage a culture makes no sense to me, and I don't think it makes sense in the movie when the same character is later on going to have this uh, this crazy, wild, overblown fit about how all the white man brings is death. You know, this guy who's saying all that his technology and stuff brings is death, this guy who's saying knowledge belongs to everyone, later freaks out and accuses the white man of only bringing right. death. Uh, and that makes no sense to me, and it undercuts – I think both of those are ridiculous. This idea that uh, that a, a compass would so, – and it, by the way, if we're getting at this idea that, that Theo is flawed, again, they're, I'm they're okay with that. Flawed. Each one of them has a different flaw. They, I mean he can, he can have that passionate idea about uh, I don't want them to have a compass, and then Karamakate uh, uh, Karama can say – Knowledge is for everyone, and then they can reverse positions later on. I mean, they can have their blind spots. I mean, that's what's wonderful yeah, well, about these characters. Well, I mean, that's, you consider that a wonderful thing about a character. I consider that a story that doesn't really – that's kind of meanderingly pulled from two different men's journals. Uh, and it's trying to be told from the perspective of someone that the director has never met, that there's no account of this person. He's creating this mindset, and by just pulling it in different ways and making it inconsistent, I didn't understand this mindset. Like, it didn't, it didn't make much but sense to me. it's not a mindset. Uh, it's, it's understanding – I mean, that's what I, that's what I think is one of the wonderful things about this, is that it is pulled from those different journals. And it is this idea of, of you can have this thing that maybe I agree with or don't agree with. But this is a character trait. So he can turn around and say, learning is for everybody, and then later on pull all those boys in and have that weird ceremony with them. I mean, he can have two weird viewpoints, one that you might agree with and one that you might not. And and so can Theo. I mean, they can have those two different... They're not two viewpoints, Dingus. It's, it's basically flip-flopping on an important issue. What What is the message in the movie, then? Therefore, like to me, it says the, me the movie doesn't really know what its message is. And if that's the movie that the guy wants to make, that's fine. But if he's making this, this fairly simple observation that white men undermine native cultures, that's fine. You know, I've, I've seen that movie plenty of times, and it can be very good. Uh, if he's making this observation that uh, native cultures are erratic and they believe different things at different times – I guess I'm sort of thinking, well, so what? Some Who of doesn't? it's I mean, muddled because – and the Compass one's especially muddled because they steal it too. So it's not like he gets Muddled, it by them. the way, is a good way to – 
is a good way to put it, Kelly Wand. Uh, muddled exactly is what I had a problem with, and it's part of why I, you know this bounces off of me. Is I just felt the story what was kind of muddled. I didn't. That's what I get at when I'm saying I don't understand the mindset. It's not about um, whether white men will take all of those, those things away from them. It's about their fear of that happening and how they retain themselves. How they. It's about identity in in a way. It's not about white men are are totally bad and white men will be the end of everything. It's about the fear of that and how we and how they and how every character deals with that, I, including the characters who who are afraid of their things being thrown away because that means they can't communicate with their family. It's about identity in that way. It's about identity and cultural identity and also individual identity, and that's what I like about it. All right, good, good. Uh, then, Dingus, maybe you can explain to me. Here's another thing that I thought was muddled, and I just simply didn't understand it. And I wrote this in my notes. I was like, what? Why? Uh, what was going on with Karamakate getting to the Karunka plant or whatever, getting to the plant at yeah, the end yeah, the Kuna. All right. uh, and burning it down? Uh, because you, you saw that whole – I mean, it was, and that, this was a little – annoying to me, but that whole slow pan down, which is very reminiscent of shots in the fountain, um, of how this this plant that had been uh, planted there for a specific purpose and was being misused had killed the actual tree. And it was it was like this this short term effect of of something that might uh, that might be used However, we're going to use it. It might be used for healing, but we don't know if it's going to be used for that. It might be used just to get high, but it's eventually going to destroy the world. And that whole tree was a, a desiccated tree. And then we get down to the bottom and we see that. And Karmakate is saying, this thing is destroying. It's, it's, a, it's destructive. Did you, I mean, you, you see that, that, whole, that. that whole long pan down of that dead tree all the I, way down to those, those things that are sucking the life out of it. Those things were the plant, though. That was the actual plant. No, those are. That is the plant that is growing off of that particular tree, right? But it's yeah, sucking it's the, the life. It's what, it's what uh, Theo needs to live, uh, and he burns it all. Yeah, because it's sucking the life out of the world. This this one little thing that could be used maybe to save one person is going to kill the earth. They're going to kill the oh, world. Man, I didn't get that at all. Okay. Yeah, I didn't understand things. I didn't get that at all. Why then did everybody freak out? What was that crazy mass exodus and, and panic? What was what was well, all what, that? What also was going on was the Colombians coming to a, to to overrun the village, and I didn't quite understand that as well because as they're coming in, people are constantly saying, "Are you the Colombians? Are you the Colombians?" And they're not. They're they're three dudes coming to just find this one little plant, and then kind of uh, I can't say his name properly. I'm sorry, Karamakati. Um, sees that this has been totally corrupted. It's not, it's actually killing the world. Um, they're not the Colombians, but then you hear all the gunfire and the quote unquote Colombians are coming in and overrunning the village and killing everybody. What gun? What? Cause I didn't hear any gunfire. I didn't hear anything about killing the world. I mean, maybe, maybe I didn't hear all the gunfire as everybody runs down to the river and gets in boats and, and run and, and paddles off and, f- they're all fleeing the Colombians who are coming into. I don't know what they're. I don't know what is quite going on there. But but when those those people come in first, they're saying, "Are you the Colombians? Are you the Colombians?" They're they're right. I saw they're that. But yeah, they're, they're obviously troops. But then there's there, but... a huge amount of gunfire, and so we're we're supposed to think that then the army invaded at the same time that Karamakate burned down this tree. I, 
I'm guessing so. I mean, it's not. I mean, yeah, I didn't get any of that. So that just, I, I that, I mean, it seemed like a crucial moment to me. You know, he he attained. They find what he needs to find. The only thing I could think was that Karamakate was sulking because uh, Theo ate fish. And if that was the case, again, I don't understand this, this, the mindset of, of this particular guy. It made no sense to me. If there was supposed to be an army invading, I didn't catch any well, of that. If the idea was that the plant was destroying the world, I also didn't catch any of that. Maybe that's on me, but that just gets at why I sort of felt like it was muddled. He was a key character decision, and it made no sense to me. But I, uh, And maybe okay. I just... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. I, I just think that it's more related to what the individual characters are going through and trying to extrapolate what that means in in a universal sense. I think that's what the filmmaker is trying to say, rather than whether or not the uh, these military guys are shooting people, um, which I think is part of it. But why he's burning down the trees, because he realizes that this thing that they have tried to attain is corrupt. Uh, and then, then you get to the older Kara, uh, Karamakate when they finally find that that flower, right? Uh, and right. and he, and the other guy, and how that plays out as well. I mean, how does it play out? Because again, I was lost there. What happened to Karamakate? Where did he go? Why did he just let uh, Jason Clark uh, take the drug and, and bliss out, and then bail on him? I didn't understand the point of that either. What do you mean, take the drug and bliss out? Uh, so uh, the the guy, and by the way, I, lo- I like that actor a lot. I don't know who that was, but uh, so he they get to the top of the workshop of the gods. They find the one bloom. Uh, Karamakate says, "Yes, I've decided to let you take this to dream." Uh, and then the guy has the the trippy color vision, and then Karamakate is gone. I didn't understand that. Like, why did Karamakate give him the drug and just leave? Because he's performed his vision quest function. Now he's gone. He's gone to the spirit world. Are you making that up, or is that really That's what, what I took out of it? Okay. Well, it, he's dead. It, it's not. No, he's not dead. He's oh. become part of him. I mean, it, it's he's constantly saying you're two men, like for the whole movie, he's saying that, and I think that they've they're kind of becoming part of each other. And that that weird thing with that plant at the end, I think, is part of that. Hmm. Who, who's becoming part of each other? Karamakate and, and, and either the white man or the two and, white men. No, the the younger white man who, who winds up there with him at the end, and then he's like suddenly like lying there in the Christ pose on the ground. Hmm. So we all had a different interpretation of that. <laughs> the the thing that that caught my ear at that moment, and this is I guess just indicative of maybe it's almost like watching a news crawl in a movie that's that's lost my attention uh, when. Um, what, what was the younger guy's name? Because I know there was Theo, there was Karmakate, there was Manduka. Um, Jacoblo. I'm, I'm not sure I ever caught the, the younger 1950s white guy's name. Do we know? Yeah, he's the, the younger 1950s white guy was the name of the guy who wrote the book, right? Right, but was it said in the movie? Or like, or whatever? Yeah, because the, well, the movie opens with his quote. I thought that was... Oh right, but we okay. Well, at any rate, um, the, it's the when same that guy, guy, the guy says, who is the quote at the beginning, is the same guy, right? Uh, I don't know. I do know that there were actually two explorers, uh, and that Gera took accounts from their uh, their travel journals and and made the movie. Uh, and so I guess the second one was Schulze. Schulze was it was an American explorer, um, mm. 
and this is just from reading a Wikipedia entry. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they ever I don't said know if his you name. Brian or Brian Davis, but I think it's, I think he was Evan or something. But there's like Theo and Evan, basically, right? Well, anyway, at one point, uh, when Evan, whatever, when that guy, the, the Jason Clark-looking fella, um, says, uh, "There's a war on. I'm here to look for rubber." This again was something that I didn't understand. Why was he looking for the plant then? Was he there looking for the plant? Was he really just there for the rubber? Yeah. Um, and furthermore, and here, here's again where my mind goes. He says there's a war on. He's there looking for rubber. I'm thinking, okay, it's been 40 years since 1905. Wait a minute. Is he a Nazi? Because part of the problem in World War II was the Germans were short of, of many military materials that they needed, including rubber. Right. Uh, and they never had, you know, that was part of what brought Germany low, is they didn't have the, the resources to, to support their war machine. So I was wondering, was this guy a Nazi looking for rubber? And if so, man, this is a cool reveal, and I want to know, and it turns out, no. It, it, he was an American who was actually sent there looking for rubber. Um, it turns out the Nazis actually used synthetic rubber, uh, so they didn't really care about not finding rubber. But that's what, because also I thought he was German too, because... Theo was German, and he hold, he pulls out the the book that's in German. So I was thinking, is this guy supposed to be German? Um, so at any rate, that that wasn't the case. But I briefly thought we were going to get a movie about a Nazi with a conscience lost in South America. <laughs> so you were disappointed. I think that would have disappointed me too. I was just yeah. I was just thinking. Uh, let's see. It's about it's literally boys from Brazil. He's looking for right. <laughs> Right, and by the way, I have a clone of a Hitler baby yeah. here with me. Uh, can you please take care of him and raise Prince. him? <laughs> hmm. uh, what did you guys think of it being in black and white? I liked it, but I also wished we'd left the river more. Like, if we're going to do a black and white Amazon movie, then I I would have wanted to see more of the jungle and just seeing. I don't well, know. Just don't like... you think the river? Don't you think there's a reason the river's there? I mean, yeah, no, I know. And the, and the title of the movie. Yeah, but um, I'm just saying, in, in, as far as the black and white's concerned, like Creature from the Black Lagoon gave me as much Jungle Lagoon as I need to see for the rest of my life. So I want to see like the dry parts. I couldn't help but think watching it, we are missing some awesome opportunity for color photography. But obviously it was so that they could have the color in the dream sequence at the end. But I, that was just throughout most of the movie. I kept thinking, oh, I wish this was in color. It would be amazing. Uh, really? So I, I, didn't I understand that. why it was in black and white, but I was kind of uh, – you didn't get you – know, I mean, yeah, you don't think the idea was this heightened reality of the color. I mean I think that was the directorial like intent for being black and white. And maybe <laughs> – Kelly Wand. I liked it better – well, I was going to say I don't know if it's better when you're bringing in Star Trek or Wizard of oh. Oz. But, uh, but I just I kept thinking, man, this would look fantastic in color. What, Prime Directive Dorothy like broke it severely. Yeah, I don't choice. understand the choice to make it black and white, and I and I find it kind of tiresome actually. Oh uh, no! Well, don't you think? They, I mean, it was it was for that. I mean, I really do think it was because he really had in mind uh, moving towards having the color in a dream sequence. Like it, when something's in black and white, and you put color in, it's obvious that like, like the red outfit in Schindler's List, for instance, the little girl in the red dress. Like, I, I think a lot of times movies are shot in black and white just so that someone can bring attention to the one bit with color. And yeah. I got the sense that's what I like black and white, though, for period pieces. But it's a, it's a long way well, to I, paddle just to get through a little bit of color. 
Mm-hmm. Very good. I, guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, you know, that's that's the thing too. Is it 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 kind of played like like I remember as a kid watching old movies where character choices like like they were movies for adults and not in the sense of like adults like porn or whatever, but but movies for adults about characters or character driven. As a kid, I just wanted to watch like you know Godzilla or whatever, and I'm sitting here watching some old black and white movie, and it makes no sense to me. And I even remember being a little older, like being in college and watching some. Bernardo Bellucci movie and having no idea what was going on and I kind of felt not I felt a little bit of that here like it was a very different kind of filmmaking the black and white the pacing was weird for me um yeah and I just felt a little bit like it was over my head or, or fo- foreign you know it's it's foreign in the sense in, in a couple senses of the word from another country but also foreign to the kinds of, of movies that I watch and sometimes that that can be an asset. That can be a cool thing to experience, and that was, I presume, Dingus's perspective. But there were times that I felt like I just didn't understand it the same way as I, as a kid, might watch Citizen Kane and have no idea what's going on. Um, so I felt some. I felt a little bit of that with it being black and white. But that's well. how I feel now about everything, and I just kind of let stuff wash over me. That's how you feel about everything. Well, like halfway into Warcraft, I went, "All right, it doesn't matter who's who. I'm just gonna like." chuck all that out of the boat, like the luggage and embrace the serpent and just keep going. Well, see, but I, and then by the end, I'll, I'll have assumed, I'll know everything I need to know. See, Kelly, if a movie is crappy, though, I understand that. I understand why. And I, that's a very different experience for me. Like, Warcraft is a movie I understand inside and out. I know why right. it is what it is. But with uh, Embrace the Serpent... Not, not because Warcraft is foreign. Like, Warcraft is so Hollywood. I understand Warcraft. This, not Hollywood, not even American... Uh, beyond my ken, in a way. Right, but embrace this. But that's what attracts me to it too. And it's like, sure. um, you know, I'm trying to guess. Like, is any of this based on the col- the filmmakers' white man's burdenness? Ah, sure. And like, how much of that is is in there versus like how much is the culture's being rendered the way it really was? Like, is he painting in the same brush? Is it a white man rapping well, in a way? <laughs> Well, the thing is, I mean, obviously he's not white. No, no, I know, but I'm saying by the, by the perspective of them. Right. But the thing is, like, like there was, there's no record of these cultures. Right. I mean, he's, he's making a story, I mean, other than the, these travel journals. So, you know, whether or not it's authentic or not, it's his interpretation, his vision, ironically enough, seen through the eyes of these two white explorers. He's trying to cull from that, uh, the, this picture of this, not even a culture, by the way, because it is. It's a specific character mm-hmm. who has been divorced from his culture. Right. He like Karamakate. Yeah, not a, well, he didn't oh, leave. I mean, it seems like his culture was right. destroyed by rubber barons. Yeah, but like he didn't he, stay and fight or, or you know. Right, exactly. Off. But it's not like he's, he's an the exile. But he's survivor, basically. Right, right. Yeah. And, and there's a kind of poignance to that in the same way that there's a poignance to this man trying to peer into a culture that no longer exists – Without any first-hand accounts, yeah, right. uh, and that's why I say it's, it's an ethnographer's movie, and I'm not an ethnographer. Like, it that's you know that's part of why I feel it's not for me. It's this cool pursuit that I don't quite understand, that I can kind of appreciate. But when I say there's no passion, that's probably it's just I don't feel the particular passion he has. Uh, I respect it's there, but it didn't resonate with me in the same way that this crazy guy caring about naked mole rats in an Errol Morris documentary, like that I can kind of understand. And this, I, I didn't quite understand. I, I guess I think that the, the black and white is, as you've said a couple of times, Tom, um, is, is not only just, I guess justified, it's a sad way to put it, but um, 
realized by the fact that that this is based on something that's been written down on paper in black and white. So, I mean, this is basically the the visual realization of things that have been written on paper. But I just think that uh, um, perhaps a more experienced or talented filmmaker could have bled in color as we go along, little by little by little by little, uh, because there's so much here to be seen. I mean, the the things that that happen early on, where we we first meet both of the of the um, uh, of of Karamakare's, both of them, and, and that first reveal of the second the older Karamakare, where it's it's slowly pulling back from that huge rock where he's done that drawing, and you slowly understand what the scale of it. That in black and white is beautiful, but as we go on and on and on, I think that there's a reason to bleed color into it, and a good reason too, but they just made the choice not to, and so for me. Black and white then just becomes a hindrance to me. It just becomes, oh, we made a choice to do a black and white movie. Kind of like watching, I don't know, The Good German or something where, why did you guys choose to do that? Just because you felt like making a black and white movie? Um, it, it got a little frustrating for me, I have to say, because as you said, Tom, there's so much, there's so much to be seen there color wise and so much to be painted there. And you're just deciding, I'm not going to use any of these, any of this on my palette. I'm just throwing that out. I mean, I couldn't help but think of Apocalypto. I mean, yeah, yeah. how gorgeous that movie is, and, and the visuals there. And you know, when when we get the close-ups of the jaguar at the end, right? I, I'm like, good lord! I bet that creature's beautiful. Too bad we're seeing it in black and white because jaguars are amazing colors. Uh, but I really do think, Dingus, it does. It is. Uh, it, it, you know, he he just wanted the dream sequence to be in color. He wanted to create this idea of a dream as a heightened reality. Because I think also. We're not supposed to, and maybe I'm wrong here, we're not supposed to believe that the white guy literally can't dream. What he is saying there, and what Karamakate is saying, is they're talking about dreams as, as divine revelations. And these scientists are saying they don't dream. And they're saying that using the word for dreaming that this native culture would use, where it's not your subconscious burbling up when you're sleeping – it is this interpretation that this is a divine revelation, you know, and and these guys as scientists are basically saying, I don't dream, not to mean they don't have weird, surreal experiences when they're sleeping, to mean they don't believe in divine revelation. God doesn't talk to them. They're scientists. They analyze. They record. They, they report things. Um, I actually disagree. I, so I, I, and I think that's why it was in color. That, that they wanted this idea of a divine revelation, a dream, to be in color. I'm sorry. Go I ahead. actually disagree. The the divine uh, revelation of the jaguar was is kind of ruined by the whole uh, life aquatic jaguar shark thing at the end. Because I mean, a jaguar, jaguar shark. I mean, that whole thing kind of. I, I I don't know. It it didn't really work for me. But I, I do think that this movie is going with the idea of of a couple different layers of what dreams are. I think it is there is a literal idea of I cannot dream. I don't have dreams. But it is also talking about having dreams as a thing that is a goal, a a dream of of something to pursue. And and the, I think the movie is talking about those two things as two different things, and also. Merging them eventually as a way of talking about storytelling when it eventually says um, you give them more than they expect. It's kind of a message to a storyteller. So I think that I think that there is a literal aspect to that. I think that when he says I can't have a dream, I don't dream, I think that's literal. But then they also talk about 
pursuing dreams. And I think those are two different things. And I wonder if that's not lost in translation. Hmm. And I mean, you might be right. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Uh, this movie was in Spanish, though, right? It was just standard, conventional Colombian well, Spanish? Like, they weren't using... Not oh, always, I because the, the, okay. I think they're using a couple different dialects, and there's even one, ah, there's right, even right. one sequence where, like, do you know what that guy's... The guy with one arm, do you know what he's talking about? You know... And I think even the Jason Clark guy says something in English at one point. Yeah. Where there was a, a subtitle, I was like, wait, they, I didn't need that subtitle, I know what he said, it was English. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, but then there's that, that guy, you know, where, where he has to say, he, he's asking for you to kill him. Um, but, but there's no subtitle whatsoever for what that guy's saying after the, after, uh, all the rubber stuff has been thrown off the trees and that guy comes running out and tries to scoop all of that into the buckets. And he's, you don't see any of what he's saying. So I don't know what all the different languages are. Right. Hmm. Uh, but I guess I was just wondering, uh, in, in their just normal speech, were they doing some, I, I, just listening, it sounded to me just like Spanish. Uh, like I was recognizing words like mentir for lie. Uh, like there were definitely cognates that I was able to recognize. I didn't know if it was just normal Spanish, if they were doing something more stylistic. Um, but yeah, so I don't. I, yeah, so as for things lost in translation, I don't know. But I did get the sense. Like it seems weird to me. It, it doesn't exist, does it? Like people who actually don't dream. Is that a thing? Mm, well, they just don't remember them. Right, right. I mean, I guess that's, that seems yeah. So they would, they would, for all intents and purposes, they would think they don't dream, I guess. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk some over-unders, because I want to mention a movie by a, I actually was assuming he was Colombian, but I looked it up, he's Chilean, so I'm off by uh, a nation or two. Um, there's a director named Sebastian Silva, who uh, has made some weird movies. He just made a movie with Kristen Wiig wanting to adopt a baby called Nasty Baby, which is just weird, and I don't like it. It's Kristen Wiig trying to be serious, and she's fine at that. I love watching her try to be serious. Uh, but uh, nasty, Sebastian Silva's Nasty Baby is weird. He also made a movie called it, Something Something in the Crystal Fairy with the chick from Parks and Rec, who I find really annoying. What's her Gabby Hoffman, is that her name, Dingus? Aubrey Plaza? No, no, please. Play, Dingus, I how you dare said, you? Uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah, the uh, who plays Ben Schwartz's sister, Gabby Hoffman. What's oh, that okay, I see. The, not the obvious child. Um. No, 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 no. It is. Maybe it's not her. That guy. Well, I'm confusing actresses. At any rate, uh, there's something, something in the Crystal Fairy. It's a movie Sebastian Silva did with Michael Sarah, which is okay. It's weird. It's about kids taking drugs. Whatever. That's fine. Uh, but Sebastian Silva made a movie called Magic Magic. Uh, the lead actress is Juno Temple, who's absolutely... Why are you going, uh, Kelly Wan? That's that movie you keep telling me to watch. I do? Well, you should. Mm. Uh, actually, even Dingus should. This is for both of you. Magic Magic is an amazing Juno Temple performance because she's so completely fearless in it. And it's a, it is a young white girl's version of A Gare Wrath of God, where she goes into this Chilean culture in pursuit of something, he's lost, and it eventually kills her and drives her mad. Uh, and it, it, it has every bit as much as, as madness and fear and interaction with superstition as, as like Fitzcarraldo or Aguirre Wrath of God, but it's Juno Temple, and it also, the villain, the monster in this movie, as bland as ever, is Michael Sarah. Like, it taps into our fear of Michael Sarah. And Sebastian Silva makes Michael Sarah seem ominous and weird and scary enough to drive Juno Temple crazy down in Chile. Wow. Uh, 
So and it, I'm, I'm kind of superimposing over Embrace of the Serpent something that it's not, in that it's not really about white men going in the jungle going mad. It's not a Vinyan. It's not an Apocalypse Now. It's from the perspective of Karamakate. It's his aging, his memory, his recollection, as Dingus says, his identity. Uh, but I think I was hoping to see a movie that I didn't see, and a better example of a movie that I didn't see that Embrace of the Serpent wasn't, but I was hoping it would be, is Magic Magic. You meant Chile the Country, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then my over with, so Diggis, I'll let you take this because I haven't seen it. All I know about Medicine Man is it's a romantic comedy John McClendon directed. Yeah. <laughs> where Sean Connery and Lorraine Bracco like have a romance mm-hmm. while they're trying to find a plant to cure cancer in South America. That's all I know about it, and by virtue of that, I'm assuming it's worse than Embrace of the Serpent. And because I haven't seen it, and because I freely admit I didn't understand Embrace of the Serpent, I'm therefore putting them in the same uh, category, and that is my under. Dingus, what is Medicine Man? So you obviously liked Embrace of the Serpent. When you put Medicine Man under it, is Medicine Man good? Like, should I see it? Do you like it? <laughs> no, I'm not really putting it under it. I was just reacting to the fact that you stepped on my uh, my quiz before I could get three words in, you jerk. I really didn't expect it was yeah, going to be that easy. Yeah, you stepped right on it. Um, it, it. I just like the whole, uh, you know, I found the cure for cancer and I've lost it. That whole ridiculous. He loses the cure for yeah, cancer. Yeah, he, he can't figure out where it is. <laughs> it, it's beautifully shot because it's John McTiernan. Um Wait a minute, hold on. He, he seriously, he doesn't, he like misplaces it? What do you mean he loses the cure? Yeah, that's just Sean Connery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, but the for, but it's also about how the forest is being destroyed. And so this idea of, uh, him being able to find this, this little plant that can cure cancer is, is constantly being destroyed by the fact that, uh, deforestation is happening. So that the ability to make this cure that could save mankind is being destroyed by mankind's progress. Um, so it, it's a fairly obvious, and I don't even know if you would want to call it a parable, but it's, it's just an obvious, uh, we're running over the rainforest, which is going to kill us kind of a movie. So it's not really your under. No, no, no. I was just. Ah, okay. Cause I, you were making me think, Especially once I found out you liked Embrace of the Serpent, you were making me think, oh, is Medicine Man good? No, my under is Mosquito Coast um, because of, of, like, of white men going into the jungle to try to either find something or improve something and, and getting in over their heads. Um, and, I, you know, as we talked about when we – I forget which, uh, which three by three we were talking about, but I, I was talking about Mosquito Coast when we were talking about that. Um, I really, really love that movie, but – it doesn't really hold up for me because there's a lot of things that, that fall down. And we had a long discussion about whether or not Harrison Ford was even right for that part. Um, and it, I mean, Peter Himes, not Peter Himes, oh, good Lord. <laughs> Peter Weir is a great director. Um, and he does a lot of great things with it. Oh, it's, it's the hardware store thing. That's why. Dwayne Johnson would have been way better. Um, uh, but I would put it slightly under because there's a lot of hammy stuff in it. And I don't think there's anything hammy in this movie. I just think there's a lot of stuff that's impenetrable. So what then would be your over? What's a movie that's better than Embrace? All right, my over would be, and this is slightly bracketed because <laughs> I don't like this movie very much, um, but there are things that I think that are brilliant about it, of course, and I totally saw that this is where this movie was going, and this would be 2001. And this whole um, this whole <laughs> sequence where he's flying around uh, after taking the drug is, for me, 
it exactly where I saw this movie going and uh, exactly reminiscent for me of what Kubrick is doing in 2001, except that he's so self-indulgent that it goes on for like 45 minutes or three hours. I can't remember. But that whole Starfield uh, sequence really reminded me. This movie, I knew that that was where it was going. And even going through that, going up to that, this movie was reminding me of 2001. They really should have gotten some of uh, Raphael Libertore's cinematography from the fountain for that trippy dream sequence, I yeah, thought. Definitely. In 2001, <laughs> the like white that. man's the aborigine, and the monolith's the white man. All right, wait, hold on. Let me try to parse this. Uh, Kelly, I don't understand that one either. Sorry. We're the natives, and the monolith's destroying our culture by giving us a compass. Which, which one of us is the boat? Well, who's the, what's the boat representing? Um, it's Hal. <laughs> Hal's the boat. He's the canoe. Uh, Kelly Wan, what do you, well, actually, so my under but he's also is priest. Medicine. Okay, what? Oh, actually, we did me. Under uh, is Medicine Man, over is uh, Magic Magic. Kelly Wan, what are your overs and unders for Embrace of the Serpent? My over is Quiana Scott, see? Oh. See? Right? That's not a terrible one, Kelly Wan. Ah, I know, and it's it's the same point, but, like, more visual. Have you seen Quiana Scott, see, lately? Because I, I think it's kind of tedious. What? Okay, more sorry. weed. Watch it. I guess so. <laughs> Don't be silly. Kelly Wan, did, you, did it ever occur to you that a circuit board and a computer looks like an urban landscape at night? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go on a Scotsy. Uh, which, but also the, se- the second one's Power Quatsy. It's right, motion. Yeah. But I prefer life out of balance to life in transition as a theme. Is that the subtitle of Pawakatsi, yeah. Life in Transition? Yeah. No, good lord. And then okay. Noya Kwatsi is the third one, which is kind of... There's no Noya Kwatsi. You made that up. It's the Jedi of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> those aren't Errol Morris, are they? Who did those? I know it's Philip Glass music, but who actually... Who, who made those? guy, the Queen of Scots, guy. Yeah. His, his huh. All right, what is your under, Kelly? What's a movie that's not quite as good as Embrace of the um, Despite its star power... Because mm-hmm. it's got Kari Wurr in it and Owen Wilson. Uh, <laughs> Anaconda. Uh, don't forget John Voight and uh, Eric Danny Stoltz. Danny Trejo. J-Lo. And, uh, J-Lo, that's right. That's right. And, uh, um, Ice Cube. Oh, that, wait, all those people are in Anaconda? That's How right. How can it suck? Well, who says it does? What's the matter with you? It's better. You're saying it's better than Embrace of the Serpent. No, that's my over, right? That's my under. Oh, oh, right, right. Sorry, I got it backwards. And your over is that stoner uh, Pawakatsi, or uh, Koyanaskatsi. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, can you spell, Kelly Wand, for $500, Koyanaskatsi, go. K-O-Y-A-N-N-A-Q-A-T-S-I? I have no idea if you got it right, but... Uh, I'm not sure if there's two N's. And there might be two yeah, Q's, that's where, even. That's where you blew it. I'm sorry, Kelly. Oh. Wait, you don't know that I'm wrong. I do. I'm looking at it right what here. What is it? Q-U-S-T-L-N-A-Y-A-A. All right. You can't even pronounce letters. Fired. You're trying to pick me. Uh, Your chala is way out of balance. We need to calibrate it. One, two, three, not only you and Ah. me. One, maybe you three, one, 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 one,
win. The word of the day is Chulachaki, which you attempted. Didn't quite get it right. Very good. Very good. I thought he was a woman for decades. The... Well, I obviously needed glasses to appreciate this movie, which is our 3x3. Three three. Oh, that's why they were called the Beaches. Now I know. <laughs> These are your favorite eyeglasses, not sunglasses in a movie. Anyone bringing up anything tinted will be thrown in jail and arrested. What about Cyclopses? Are those tinted? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go to jail, Kelly Wand? Do you want to be arrested and charged and thrown in jail for... uh, That's up to the judge, the 3 by 3 Isn't it Cyclopes? Is it a women's prison? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> why would you be put in a women's prison, Kellywand? Uh, request? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> to punish them. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Uh, all right, next week's 3x3 three three will be introduced by Dingus. So, Dingus, start us off with your third favorite, your third favorite pair of eyeglasses. Maybe give us a quote from, from the movie and we'll right, guess it. Quote. And I promise to let the whole quote play out before. All right, here's the quote. Weird. That's from... I feel like I'm going to know it when Dingus says Remains of the Day. (laughs) No. When he reads the poetry. It's from the movie Spider-Man. It's the first Spider-Man. And this is the moment where he wakes up after going through his transition, uh, and he climbs up off of the floor and he grabs his glasses and puts them on and looks in the mirror and he can't see himself. Uh, he's totally blurry and he takes off the glasses and he sees himself and he puts the glasses on and they're totally, he's totally blurry again. He takes the glasses off. He sees himself again. He goes weird. Um, and I love that. I love that little bit of, of, uh, of character understanding that that this is this is one of the ways that uh, Sam Raimi is letting us know um, that Spider-Man has changed uh, essentially who he is. Now he can see without his glasses. Um, I, I just love that little bit. Dingus, you might then appreciate the similar scene in Attack of the Fifty Foot Cheerleader. <laughs> When the eponymous cheerleader takes the drug that turns her into uh, like a supergirl and wakes up the next morning and discovers that she's developed breast implants. What? True story. I found that in my yep. garden the other day. That's even weirder than the 50 feet. Wait, does she have 50 feet? <laughs> she, could, she turns 50 feet tall. Oh, okay. The breast implants are appropriately sized throughout. Her are they clothes, silicone or the um, water ones? I did not ask because the movie was not interactive. It was not responding to any of my questions. Cheerleaders do. I had, I, I had several. Uh, yeah, this girl's obviously not a cheerleader. Uh, no. It's just an excuse for gratuitous nudity. If anyone wants a movie with gratuitous nudity, nudity, uh, a tag of the fifty-foot cheerleader will uh, meet the, that prerequisite. Hmm. Kelly Wand, what is your third favorite scene with glasses? Mine's kind of like Dingus's. I'll do a quote. Uh, Lois, uh... <laughs> wow. You give up. Uh, it's obviously Lois Smith's Coke bottle glasses in The Nice Guys. 
<laughs> That's a real thing, by the way. That was the actress's name. Oh, those are real Coke bottles? <laughs> gotcha. So, Kelly Wan, it just remains for us to know which Superman movie could you be talking no, about? No, the first one, because they really did change his whole facial structure. They were really big. The first one in 1947 with George Reeves. No, in the comic books. <laughs> Actually, those were TV shows. I think, oh, different Reeves. I in the movie, the 70s movie, they're like 70s glasses, and so they actually, they were like bigger than his face big. They were like really insectile. And um, I don't know. But were they like part, were they the prevailing fashion of the yeah. day? Did they look out of place? Yeah, okay. I think Gene Wilder wore, or Robert Redford wore them in Three Days of the Condor. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, my third favorite pair of glasses is... Um, I won't give you a line from it. Uh, I talked about this movie during our sieges, 3 by 3 I love the, the poster for Straw Dogs with Dustin Hoffman on it. It has him with his glasses shattered. But in the movie, he just has the crack in his glasses during the siege at the end. Uh, mm. And I love how in the movie he's wearing the glasses, and he's supposed to be this really erudite fella. He's a mathematician living in this village. And the, the point of Straw Dogs is what, what violence does to him. Uh, it sort of pulls him in. Like, glasses represent civilization. They allow even uh, the weak people who would normally be culled from the herd in the normal evolutionary process to prevail and contribute to the gene pool. They're sort of an example that we as human beings, that's not a priority for us. We can fix poor eyesight. Um, you know, it can be a facet of human evolution. We don't care. Uh, and the cracking of, of Dustin Hoffman's glasses in Straw Dogs is kind of representing this loss of civility. So I like that through the latter, through that the climax of Straw Dogs with all the violence going on. He's just got this really awkward crack through the lens. Of hey, at the, the end of the remake of Straw Dogs, is there a crack in James Marsden's breast implant? And that's like really <laughs> Why would James Marsden get breast implants? Because he woke one? up after the he took the drug and became a straw dog. Uh, James, I think they do crack his glasses in that. I mean, I know for the poster... He has glasses, though? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because he's supposed he's to be a super erudite, too. He's, he's writing a book on uh, on the siege of Stalingrad. Because get it? A siege. Get it, Kelly oh, Wong? He's a, a siege. He's an author. Right. He's an author writing about a siege. Wait, he's actually, I think he's, he's writing a screenplay. So he's not even... Uh, right. He's not even... And he's going to get into a siege himself. So, so he's not even resourceful. He just is, happens to be working on something that would help him in the situation he's in by chance. So he's super lucky. And that's the writer of the actually, movie's idea of clever. Uh, I'm not sure they... Br- you're, you're giving Rod Lurie way too much credit for thinking about this. What's this got to do with House? What? Isn't that the guy who plays House, his name? Oh, Hugh Laurie. Oh no, Rod Lurie... Did happen? Rod Lurie is this guy who used to be a movie critic, and he does The Contender, which is, you know, Joan Allen is the vice president, which I seem to recall was okay, but then he becomes this, like... He decides he's a great director, and he does this... Didn't he do that movie where Kevin Pollack is the president and is in a roadhouse and has to push the button for nuclear war? What was that movie? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, you told him Canadian about Canadian Bacon? Not Canadian Bacon, no. And he, I think it was Rod Lurie's second movie, and then his third or fourth, I don't know, is this horrible, horrible remake of Straw Dogs. And I don't understand how a movie critic, who normally knows if a movie's any good, makes such crappy movies... Um, but yeah, Rod Lurie's a tool. Hugh Laurie, on the other hand, uh, amazing in this season of Veep. Yeah, he is. Agree with that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, all right, Dingus. What is your second favorite pair of eyeglasses in a movie? And maybe give us a line from it. And we'll see if we can maybe guess this one better than this one. Uh, here's a, here's a line from it. 
I'm allergic to retinox. To, to what? Retinox? I'm allergic to retinox. To retinox? Usually for yeah. patients your age, I would prescribe retinox 6 or retinox 5. It's maybe retinox 5. And he says, I'm allergic to retinox. Gattaca? No. It's from a movie called Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. Oh, my God. Here we go. And um, so the, huh. the, the beautiful thing about this, and you kind of uh, were messing around a little bit about this when you were talking about the reason glasses were created, Tom, just, this huh? last time through. Uh, and in the future, you can just give somebody a prescription that will apparently make their eyes see just fine. But uh, Captain James T. Kirk is allergic to that particular drug, so he can't take it. And he's getting older. So this is also uh, a story about how glasses uh, make you feel old sometimes. Wait a minute. Shatner wears glasses? in, in with Yeah, then he never movies? wears them again. Well, yeah, just that one, though. Well, th- there's a there's a great little sequence because uh, it's his birthday. Um, you know, Spock gives him a copy of "It's the Best of Times," it's the worst of times, uh, and um, <laughs> Look. Uh, Bones brings him some Romulan ale, and he also gives him this gift of these glasses. And uh, James Kirk looks at them like, "Really, Bones? What? Why? This is interesting." And and uh, Bones is like, "You know, you're getting up there." Uh, usually for my patients, I prescribe Rechnox, and uh, and James Kirk goes, I'm allergic to that. He's like, yeah, that's why I'm giving you those. And then later on, when he's trying to look at something on one of the consoles, uh, when James Kirk is trying, when Captain Kirk is trying to look there, he can't see it. He can't focus on it. So he has to take these these old <laughs> antique glasses out of their little felt bag and put them on. And before he puts them on, he he looks at um, you know Kirstie Alley and goes. Damn, and he puts them on so he can actually see the console, um, and I and I just love that little touch, this little idea of, of they're making a nod to the fact that the crew of the Enterprise are getting older, and this is part of this is part of the theme of these movies is that they're getting older and and are they going to be able to keep doing this? Uh, you know, he's been promoted to admiral. Well, you shouldn't have been. You should have stayed captain. Well, I'm an older man. I should be doing older man things. But he can't quite see. He's got to wear glasses to be able to see. Just this thing on the console. And I love that little bit of business. So so each one of these is not just the way the glasses look. It's just that little bit of business that goes on with 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 using glasses in movies. And, and we're really, I really... I feel kind of like that a little bit, where he where he where he gets the glasses from Bones and then he puts them on to, and, he, and he says, "Damn!" And it's, it's just this thing about aging because there was you know uh, I, I had to try to figure out the password on, off the back of uh, you know the the manufactured password uh, that's on, in that super fine print on the back of a router this week, and I could barely ascertain what the numbers were because <laughs> my eyes aren't as good as they were, you know many years ago. Uh, and so James Kirk having to put those on just to see what's on the console kind of struck home with me. Okay, honest question. Does anyone in any of the Star Wars movies wear glasses? RTD2. Yeah. I almost actually picked one. Lobot. Who wears glasses in Star Trek? No. In Star Wars, I mean. Really? Wait, who's saying that? Yeah. Really? Uh, I, I don't know if you really would uh, would consider them macro binoculars. 
It, Do this count? Okay, yeah. Like Maz Kanata's glasses. Who the heck is... Oh, oh, in Force Awakens. Yeah, that's right. right. That's, that's not a real old. Star Wars movie. Of uh, Kelly Wan. Real you. ones. Kelly Wan, go to no. your room, and do you, do you think about what you've not done. Not the fan home. fiction one. I actually almost picked that because I, wa- I just watched that with my son this week. Uh, and when she's putting when she's doing those glasses and she's dialing them in, I was like, can I pick those those glasses? They're not oh, existing. Because they are. They're eyeglasses, right? She's using them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going to pick that for my number two. Kelly Wan, what's your second favorite pair of glasses in a movie? Well, mine's from a movie, not Star Wars Episode Seven. Um, <laughs> that is, I'm going to do a quote, but the quote's a trick. <clears throat> I could have been a contender. Some, some old black and white thing with Brando I've never seen. So this is from the motion picture Godfather 3. Yeah, that's not from Godfather. Well, it's still Al Pacino. I thought you were going to pick Mo Green. I could have been a contender. Uh, Godfather 3, uh, eyeglasses are used as a murder weapon. I don't know if you remember. Uh, what? Then uh, it's, it's like the moment you realize it's the ultimate Godfather shark jump. You're like, ah. Wait, how do you kill someone with a pair of... I've seen someone get killed with a carrot, but how do you kill someone with a pair of glasses? He takes them off his head. He goes, i got to whisper something in your ear. And then he goes to whisper in his ear, and then he takes the glasses off the guy's head, and he stabs him through the eye with the rim of the glasses. No, seriously? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's really Thanks, dumb. Sophia Coppola. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. She didn't direct nope. it. Who directed Godfather 3? She didn't direct <laughs> You thought she directed Godfather 3? Well, she, I've heard that she ruined it but from being in yeah. it, and I was briefly thinking it's because she I like it. your idea that she directed it, and that's her. Hey, Dad, I got a cool idea. Let's take the glasses. It's <laughs> probably you know what I like on set. All right, honey, that's not a bad one. All right. You know why I thought one. you would choose the first go? Oh, green? Yeah. Uh, they're pretty cool glasses, you know. And he gets right. shot in the eye through them. Uh, that I remember is a special effect, like with blood through broken glasses, yeah. right? Like, isn't that? He gets shot yeah. in the eye through his glasses while he's on the massage table. Oh shoot! I'm now thinking of glasses from. Oh, yeah, but then if you, I mean, cool Godfather deaths, then it's just you. Then you think about all of them, and they all have eyeglasses in them. Like the windshield's kind of like eyeglasses when the guy <laughs> it It's a car's way of looking, except for its headlight. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the, well, eyeglasses. Is the thing. It's the same. That's in the same montage almost. So you're like, oh, another glass getting shot through, except it's a foot. I'm amazed that you remember things from Godfather Three, Kellyland. Yeah, I do. Remember it all. So since Kelly Wan remembers it all, I'm not going to bother seeing it. Kelly Wan's got it covered. Mm, Andy Garcia is kind of funny in it. Wanda <coughs> has a good bit. Then there's also. Oh, never mind. All right. I'm going to give you guys a quote from my second favorite pair of glasses in a movie. These are not just any glasses. These are video glasses, bitch. <laughs> mm, that's from China Syndrome? Jack Lemmon? Yep. When yep. at the end? He's doing his Michael Douglas to Jane Fonda. Oh. And he's holding up his camera because they work for a news station. And that's what he tells Is that me. from one of the uh, Remington Steel James Bonds? <laughs> It is a kind of a Bondian uh, conceit. You're the no man one? now, no dog. Huh. So I kept, these, I these kept trying to play with Mission Impossible things, but I couldn't come up with anything that wasn't regular sunglasses. Well, these are kind of like that in that they're a spying device. They're, uh, 
they're glasses with a camera installed in them, but the point of them uh, is to tell a story about, I guess what you might describe as rape culture, uh, in, a, in the context of a, a revenge horror movie, uh, where these guys are oh. taking along their meek little friend, and they put some video glasses on him, and they're going to go out and pick up chicks and get them drunk at a bar, and then take them back to this hotel room and have sex with them, and have the guy film it. And we watch in this found footage conceit, it also allows the story to be told through found footage, as they go to this bar, and they pick up some chicks, and they're these two obnoxious, just just douchebag frat guy types, uh, and their friend, who you see looking in the mirror at one point, he seems like a sort of a nice guy who's just being dragged along for, for this. Uh, and they pick up this really weird girl who turns out to be a demonic succubus who kills two of them uh, and then flies off with the one guy at the end. And there's this uh. great GoPro moment where the glasses fall to the ground while he gets carried off by this uh, winged succubus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, the sequence from VHS called Amateur Night, directed by David Bruckner who did one-third of a movie that Dingus loves called The Signal. Uh, And he recently did a great sequence in a horror anthology called Southbound that Kelly Wan should see called The Accident, which is almost this absurdist play, kind of, Mm. uh, about how one guy reacts to seeing an accident. I like you. I like you. Mm. Kelly Wan, I like you. Uh, you guys may not know this. I mentioned this to Dingus. Uh, so David Bruckner wrote and he directed the sequence Amateur Night. Uh, Hannah Fearman, Fireman, uh, is the the chick who is this this great like she's a beautiful woman. But there's something slightly weird about her face, and they play up on that idea with, with her in this movie, uh, in this segment. Uh, Bruckner wrote a full length feature script based on Amateur Night called The Siren, which he was going to direct, but other things came up, including. Uh, a possible stint directing a Friday the 13th reboot, <laughs> which eventually died. Uh, so he handed over the directorial duties for this movie called Siren, which is based on Amateur Night, to someone else. Uh, and it's been made. It was at a film festival recently. I don't know if it'll ever come out. But Hannah Fairman is, is the lead in it. And uh, it's a full-length version of Amateur Night. So you and saw I'm, it? No, no, it's not out yet. It's oh, not available. I'm curious about curious it. What's, yeah. Uh, I like Hannah Fairman enough. Like, I love what that girl did, it, it, like her performance in that. Um, did she like that he was wearing the glasses? She didn't know anything about it. Like Maybe that was him. part of it. She had, we just don't know. We don't, we don't know what was going on in her mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's my second favorite pair of glasses because of the story that, that that's good. they end up telling in uh, Amateur Night. Mm-hmm. Dingus, give us a quote from your favorite pair of glasses. In movie. Look, if you don't stop, I'm going to lose it. I mean it. Right, but give us a quote from your favorite of a movie. <laughs> All right, this is this is um, this is again just just based on the business around having to wear glasses and how that makes you feel when you have to wear glasses. And this is from uh, a little movie called Rushmore. Um, and this is this is a moment where Max is 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 totally ham-handedly and and just awkwardly making a pass at this teacher, this elementary school teacher at the school where he goes called Rushmore. He's trying to make a pass at her. Um, he's totally into Miss Cross and he's, he's going in to see her as she's packing up her classroom and he's trying to kiss her. Um, and she's, she's bigger than he is. She's stronger than he is. And he's kind of an awkward kid 
and he doesn't have any idea what he's doing. And she basically just dresses him down for what do you expect is going to happen here? But he tries to like do this awkward, I'm going to kiss you thing. It's going to be totally romantic. And she basically just wrestles him away from her. I mean, it's just awkward and terrible, but there's this great moment. And I, and I really, I really, really love this moment uh, where she kind of turns him away from her and pushes him away because he's, you know, as with many of us who have been raised on romantic comedies, just thinks, well, if a woman doesn't want to kiss you, just make her kiss you. Um, he's a kid. He doesn't understand that that's not what you should do to a woman. Um, and she pushes him away from her and his glasses come off. And he's like, wait, wait, hold on. wait!" And, he, and he's got his glasses in his hand. It's just a quick moment where he's awkward with his glasses. They've come off of his face. He has to try to put them back on his face as he turns back around. He trips over the boxes that she's using to pack up her classroom. He falls down on his, he scrambles to his feet once he has his glasses back on his face. And it's just this business of of how awkward sometimes you feel when you're wearing glasses and and they come off your face and and you're trying to be cool and you're trying to have this moment but now you have to put your glasses back on and it's just so wonderful and awkward and weird um and I just love that moment it's my favorite one of my favorite things ever Putting your glasses on is never cool what's cool is whipping them off of your face yeah. before you deliver a yep. line that's But if a woman that. knocks them off <laughs> Your face while you're trying to kiss her, that's a cool. Sounds like you're speaking from experience. Uh, it was contact. Kelly Wand, Kelly Wand, what is your favorite pair of glasses in a movie? Maybe give us a line from it. Okay, here's a line from it. Mm-hmm. He'd kill us if he got the chance. Oh, who wears glasses in the conversation? Fucking Hackman, man. Fucking Harry Call, brah. Mm, I don't think so. He's got contacts. He had LASIK done. See, the whole movie's about... You always see him behind screens and filters. Mm. So the fact that he's always wearing these filters. But he's listening to stuff. Who cares? No, Maybe his Johnson eyes are weird in that out. movie. What? Right. His glasses really are really iconic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, uh, what's it called? Edit? The conversation is a movie about hearing, not seeing, Kelly Wong. No, yeah, but he sees the world through his ears. So his glasses, his face, his face is really weird in that movie. It's not like any of his other performances. And you're just yeah, in on. Enemy of the State, the Will Smith movie, and Gene Hackman's in it. When they show like a picture of uh, him from the Most Wanted list, it's like the picture of Harry Call in his glasses. So two of your three best glasses movies are uh, Coppola movies. You could have gone for a trifecta. I'm very disappointed. Yeah. Well, Richard Donner. You don. He's the Coppola. He's the rich man's Coppola. I was going to say he's the Coppola of Lethal Weapon movies. I think that's my favorite movie. Lethal Weapon? No, Godfather 3. Wow. (laughs) Maybe I should see it. I'm going to give you guys a line from my favorite pair of glasses movies. I can pretty much guarantee neither of you has heard of this movie. And 98.9% of the people listening to this podcast have never heard of it. And the people who have heard of it instead think it's something else. Uh, this is a movie that opens with a, a little dateline. It says 1595. And right now, probably most of the people listening to this podcast will be like, oh, God, and they would turn the movie off. Furthermore, there's a text bit that says, in 1595, after a war between Russia and Finland slash, slash Sweden, 
they had to like come to an agreement about a patch of territory between their two countries. So they sent out an expedition to map the border and chart where the line between Russia and Swedish slash Finnish territory exists. The, uh, the actual text is a little more laconic than I'm saying it. Uh, this is a story of that expedition, which set out and never returned. And the movie is called Sauna, which you might think is a teen sex comedy about a sauna. There is actually a, a horror movie, I don't remember what it's called, about teenagers that get caught in a sauna. They go into a sauna, and a stick falls against the door and wedges it shut, uh. so they can't, they can't get out, and they, they bake to death in the sauna because the stick wedged the uh. door shut. Uh, I forget what it's called, though. That's not what this movie is about. This movie is set in 1595, and it's about a mapping expedition going through no man's land in, uh, in 1595. This is a Finnish movie, and it's a horror movie, and I love this thing, and nobody's seen it. Nobody's heard of it. Nobody thinks of Finland as a country from which many, many movies come. Uh, but this is a great Finnish film, and... In this expedition, there are representatives from Russia and there are representatives from uh, Sweden slash Finland. And the two guys from Finland are brothers. One of them is a scholar from Stockholm, and the other one was a warrior who fought the war against the Russians. And now here they are with their former enemies, and they're charting this wilderness. And the movie is about this patch of swamp that doesn't show up on any map. And in the middle of the swamp, they find a mysterious village. And outside the village, there is a sauna which to us we think of something in Redwood and a spa or whatever. In, in Finnish culture, that is you know, where you go to cleanse your sins. You sit in the steam, you, you pour water over yourself. It's a historical thing. And this sauna is kind of like a bunker where, where they do that. And they find this mysterious sauna outside of the village. Uh, and the movie reminds me of a Laird Baron story called The uh, Men from Pru- not Prufa. Porlock. Porlock, thank you. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of this fantastic Laird Baron story about these really tough rough-hewn Americans that get swallowed up by the supernatural element of the wilderness. And sauna is that about these uh, Finnish and Russian soldiers in, uh, in 1595. And the main guy, the warrior, who is this amazing Max von Sydow lookalike. Like, he looks like a, a young Max von Sydow. He's got these amazing lines in his face and this harsh jaw. And, and his character wears these super thin little glasses and I'm thinking, wait a minute, 1595? They really had classes back then? And, and this guy would be wearing them? And it's a plot point in the movie that this guy's brother, who's a scholar from Stockholm, for this expedition, has brought his brother, who's been a soldier in the war and who's losing his eyesight, has brought his brother this pair of glasses, this marvelous new invention. And people in the village comment on them. They're like, what's that on your face? Uh, the Russians who they're traveling with comment on them. You know, they say, you know what, those glasses almost make you look like a civilized person, but in reality, they just show that you're an invalid who has lived far too long. Um, they, they use it as like a, an insult against him. Um, and, and the movie is about how uh, this guy is really a brutal warrior who has lost sight of the world and how to deal with it and how to live in it and how this really scary, weird goings-on in this village, uh, how he and his brother respond to it. So uh, it's actually what made me think of it, because I love the look of the, those, those thin little glasses on this guy's face. I love how they're used in the movie. Uh, they're featured in several different scenes. They're ultimately relevant to what happens to the characters. Um, but the glasses in Sauna uh, are my favorite pair of glasses in a movie. Hmm. Kelly Wand, you've never heard of this movie, have you? It's pretty no, obscure. that sounds awesome. 
Yeah, you should totally see. They both do. The other one sounds good too. What other one? One where they bake to death. Oh, yeah. They're they're like annoying teenagers. You want me to spoil it for you? Yeah. One of them, she like the only one who lives is a girl, and she, I I think she like takes one of those like rocks that's super hot, and she uses it to punch out a little window. And Mm. actually, no, I think someone just lets them out. I forget what happens. It's is it Grady? Who's Grady? The so, lost thing, right? No. God. <laughs> From fucking Shining. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> that's a freezer, not a sauna. <laughs> Very good, though. <laughs> Paul Weimer says, I have an eye to a topic like this, having worn glasses since my first memories. Number three. Uh, oh, okay, Dingus, here you go. In Star Trek IV, The Voyage oh, Home... Admiral Kirk's antique glasses become a sort of ready cash for the Enterprise crew who've gone back to Frisco in 86. It's even a time loop because they're sold to the same store McCoy bought them from in the future and two movies ago. I forgot that. Wow. Time travel in a Star Trek movie? I know. It's hard to believe. It's like a hot tub time machine. I'm the only one on this podcast who's seen both of those movies, I'll bet. Speaking of saunas. You saw the second one? Why? It's so painful. Kelly Wan, I don't, I don't judge movies based on their quality. I believe all movies are equal. <laughs> he judges them on basically on whether or not they can be in the background or not. No, Cusack. You know, that t- seems like a really weird... I was going to say, Hot Tub Time Machine 2 is so bad that even John Cusack wouldn't be in it. Yeah. He's kind of, <laughs> he's, pretty low he seems essential to me. I don't know. Well, he must have read the script and thought, I want no part of this. Uh, Number two for Paul Weimer. At the start of The Faculty, Mrs. Burke, played by Famke Jansen, wears glasses, and she seems shy and hesitant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A stereotypically nerdy teacher. Mm-hmm. But when the aliens take over, her personality changes radically, and the removal of her glasses is the cue and clue. Mm. <laughs> Number one, ew, gross. You don't see this on many 3x3 lists. Number one, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Hamakavula has large glasses glasses that seem to magnify his eyes out of all proportion to reality. When he takes them off, we get to see how creepy his face really is without them. And he's played by John Malkovich, so you can imagine how that works. (sighs) Dave Perkins says, all of my picks are the little round spectacle kind, but most of my picks have one of the lenses shattered. Mm. Ooh. All are worn by men. Mm. There. Now we are ready. Low green. Um, nope. Oh, my God. I can't... Huh. All right, number three. The round spectacles worn by the SS man in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Especially yeah. the moment when he takes them off with a shaking hand. Oh, my God. That makes me think of that awesome bit with Bruno Gans and Downfall oh, yeah, that's as good. Hitler. Uh... They lend him a sinister but intelligent look that I tried to mimic in college by buying a similar pair. Dave Perkins tried to look like an S. Yeah, he tried to look like the guy who gets his hand burned. Is he talking about salt? Melted. About what? What's his name? Uh, The SS man in Raiders of the Lost Ark, especially, I guess so. The guy who gets the thing burned in his hand. Is that Toast? I think his Um, name actually means death. Well, Dave Perkins took that as a fashion inspiration in college. Dave Perkins, number two. I hate to see what kind of mustache she tried to grow. What are his hangers like? Oh, mustache. Dave Perkins, um... 
I don't remember this, but I don't remember either of these, but great picks. All right. The glasses with one shattered lens born, worn by one of the car thieves in the rover. Is it Archie? One of them had shattered glasses? I don't remember I don't that. remember. Wow. The busted lens eloquently reflected the rundown state of that word. And then Dave Perkins, to head off Kelly Wand, says, reflected is a poor choice of word there, I admit. Because <laughs> Kelly Wand would have said, get it? Yeah. But I want to make sure people dude? get things. Yeah, it must. Yeah, Archie's the older guy, yeah. right? Because I can, I can see Scoot McNary saying, "Shut up, Archie!" <laughs> not, except not quite as petulantly as I just did it. That's um, his favorite movie of his. Scoot yeah. McNary's is the Rover. Mm-hmm. Should yeah. be. Just saying. I mean, it's no, it's no monsters. Mm. It's no Batman versus uh, Superman. <laughs> yeah, but what is? Yeah. Dave Perkins' number one pick, the glasses worn by Chicory in Bone Tomahawk, ah, good one. which barely survived the party's capture and highlight the pathetic and desperate state of the imprisoned group. The look on Chicory's one visible eye as he shouts, I will avenge you, stuck with me for days. Mm. Man, I don't remember his glasses, but that's a great pick. Yeah. Arthur Giovanginelli's number three pick, which, oh my God, really, Arthur? Transformers. The glasses of Sam Witwicky's great-great-grandfather, Archibald Witwicky, which had the coordinates of the AllSpark scanned on their lenses. This happened when Archibald encountered the frozen Megatron during an expedition to the Arctic Circle. Uh, Not the Arctic Circle. Uh, Oh, God. That was largely an embrace of the serpent. A lot of that was. Such a dumb (laughs) pole. Arthur Giovanginelli's number two pick, Mission Impossible, the, the pair of visco glasses that Ethan Hunt puts on at the end to expose Jim Phelps as the mole. Oh, yeah. Think, so these oh, that's what no, I was looking no. for. Yeah, no, they're yeah. not gla- okay. The sunglasses are in the beginning of the Mission Impossible 2. That's what I was looking for, yeah. Well, Arthur says visco glasses appear throughout the movie and look like normal eyeglasses, but they have a built-in camera that allows others to see what the wearer is seeing. Is he saying visco? You know, uh, V-I-S-C-O, right. yeah. I like it when he got the, his shirt. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, one, no one knows what you're uh, talking okay. about. Uh, Arthur says it was a really cool tech concept back in 96. Seems a little more pedestrian these days. Uh, and, oh, my God. Another thing that I never thought we'd see on a 3x3, another movie, but it belongs alongside Transformers. Number one, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. The glasses worn by Clark Kent to protect his identity. Kelly Wan, take that with your number three pick of Superman. Uh, I wasn't doing fan fiction. I was doing a movie about Superman called Superman. <laughs> Arthur says, I'm far from the first to point this out, but it's always been funny to me that Superman's disguise is merely a pair of glasses. Uh, it's even funnier when you consider he works at a newspaper with investigative reporters. Yeah. All right. So There's an SNL um, skit where they troll him and they're like, hey, look, he thinks we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, Stefan Larson says he has one pick. It can- oh, oh, wait a minute. What? Oh, okay. Uh, so Ste- Stefan Larson said uh, me mentioning red. Wait, tails. All right. No, never mind. Okay, he's talking about a, a gaming stream. I, I'm, I'm a little lost there, so I'm going to skip past that. His pick is Brick, a mm-hmm. high school noir from 2005 where no one goes to class. Uh, waiting patiently for Tugger to come stomping across the parking lot, Brendan. <laughs> Played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, <laughs> removes his glasses, carefully puts them in a protective case, and puts it in his pocket. Brendan needs to see the kingpin to drink apple juice and discuss the Hobbit books. To meet the kingpin, 
he must go through Tugger. And being punched in the face is a prerequisite to communicating with Tugger. Mm-hmm. This is uh, an excellent choice. Yeah, it is. Uh, mainly because I can just see that guy walking across the parking lot. He's just seething. And he reminds me, totally reminds me of Ramsey from um, Game of Thrones, that actor. I don't know why that is. Um, uh, but that guy walking in that moment is great. That's a great choice. What's this guy's name? That is. Uh, Stefan Larson. Stephen, that's great. And he says that Brendan engages in, quote, more or less voluntary fist-to-face communication on several occasions throughout break, but he's always very careful to protect his glasses. Yeah, that's I love beautiful. That. That's a great one. Chris Markinson says... Oh, damn it, oh, oh, damn it, damn Chris it, damn it, damn it. Why are you so mad that Chris Markinson wrote in a 3 by 3 Because he, he had a bunch of cool things to say about Embrace of the Serpent, and I forgot to say any of them. He really, really liked it. He really liked it, and he had really trenchant things to say about the black and white and about a couple of the characters, and I totally forgot to fold them in. I'm a total jerk. I'll, well, I'll say, Chris Markinson, haha, you saw Embrace of the Serpent. Uh, yeah, but he, but he also has said some really smart things. I'll put them on the front page. Chris... I'm sorry, man. You're you're awesome. Anyway, sorry, Tom. Go well, ahead. Chris might get in trouble for his number one pick, so maybe we'll let him off of that just because we feel bad. All right, that's what he says. He says he might get in trouble with the number one pick. But let's go to his number three pick, Slapshot. Mm. Okay. Uh, after, I've never seen this. After being in a fight, one of the Hanson yeah. brothers still wears his black-rimmed Coke bottle glasses despite the fact the right lens is yep. shattered. I won't go any further into the scene because the language gets a little blue, but it's very funny. It's fucking awesome. One of the Hanson brothers? Yeah, the Hanson brothers. Like from Mbop? Oh my god. Not those Hansons. Part- Sorry. This is a sports movie. I don't know anything about that. Uh, his number two pick, Star Trek IV Voyage Home, with the crew of the Enterprise traveling back in time. They need money. Kurt goes to the antique store, gets the glasses. Uh, Spark remarks they were Spock remarks they were a birthday gift, and Kirk says, and they will be again. That's the beauty of it. Jeez. Yeah, time loops. I totally <laughs> forgot that it was that they came back in the fourth. Yeah. Uh, Whoa, look here, number one. I'm not choosing a single pair of glasses here, so I'm not sure if this will give probable cause or not to the 3x3 police. In Brick, Brendan and his friend the Brain are the only two characters who wear glasses. Nobody else does. Not even a single extra appears to be wearing glasses. It's either a coincidence or it was done on purpose. I'm choosing to think it was done on purpose and that Ryan Johnson wanted the good guys to wear glasses, which I think is kind of cool. Huh. And then Nick D. says, oh, dadgummit, he's sending these awesome pictures. Whoa. Whoa. What? <laughs> All right. Too bad you guys can't see these. Number three, the Ipcress file. Mm, yes. Wow. Michael Caine. If, Very good. Well, if there are cooler black-rimmed glasses than the one Michael Caine wears in this, I haven't yeah. seen them. Nick Spy glasses. Number two, JFK. In several scenes in the movie, Oliver Stone chose to shoot Kevin Costner such that the light reflecting off his glasses looks totally flat and white. And you know what? Reading this, I can confirm because I'm looking at a picture of that right here that Nick D has put in his email. That I'm sorry, you guys can't see. What do you mean by totally uh, flat and white? Like the way the eyes look? Uh, there's just like a flat white, like it's reflecting the light, but not where you can see like the, the filament in the bulb. It's just like a flat sheet uh, white reflection. It's as if they were sunglasses, but instead of dark, white. I'm going to find the truth. But does it give you like a storm feel or the end of... Uh, well, they're those old 60s glasses. Oh, yeah, they're, uh, they're the old like glasses with the rim on the top, uh, and they're just whited out. Yeah, they, You know what they look like? Actually, looking at this picture, 
if I didn't know any better from reading what Nick D wrote, I think they were like silvered aviator glasses oh. in one of those 60s frames. Um, Nick D says, I don't know what others make of this, but for me it always gave him a kind of owlish alien look, oh. which emphasized the kind of conspiratorial feeling the movie was going for. And then finally, is this Clint Howard? Oh my god, it is. So I know Clint Howard from so many crappy horror movies. Clint Howard, I think if you give Clint Howard a sandwich, he'll just show up and do your crappy horror movie. He's the smog strangler. I did not, well, not only that, I didn't realize, Clint Howard is in Apollo 13, oh, his brother, Apollo 13. The first movie that came to mind for me, uh, Nick writes, there are a lot of great nerds in this movie, but the glasses that I always remember are worn by Clint Howard. There's a great shot of him, which, by the way, uh, 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 parenthetical remark from me. I'm looking at right now, and it is a great shot. Uh, Nick D says, there's a great shot of him with the reflection of his data screens in the glasses as he lifts his hand to rub his eyes because he knows he needs to tell Ed Harris that the Odyssey is not going to land on the moon. Mm. Nick, these are great pictures. Well, this is a podcast, though, Nick. Send these into a TV show. Tom, you've done an admirable job of painting those pictures, though. I appreciate that. You've done a good job. This shot, though, of Michael Caine right here totally makes – this it might be weird to say. It makes it makes me want to have sex with Michael Caine. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it's making me think – speaking of wanting to have sex with men, it's making me think of Colin Firth in uh, that movie that Tom Ford directed. What yeah, was single that called? Man. Shoot. His, his a single man. His glasses in that are awesome, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those super sexy, like, Italian Marcello Mastrantonio mm-hmm. glasses. Yeah. 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 Those are yeah. good glasses. Oh, man. Uh, so uh, – yeah, so uh, runners up. I was thinking of the uh, the basically it's not the MacGuffin. Uh, it's the clue that kind of solves the case. The glasses that Jack Nicholson finds in the water at at Noah at uh, Noah. Uh, well, that's the character's name, Noah. At John Huston's house. Um, do you guys remember? Like he finds the glasses of the murder. I mean, it's, it's an obscure plot point from Chinatown, but it's where he puts together the murder and Noah Cross. Uh, he finds glasses in a pond. You guys don't remember that or? That's huge to me. Like you, all right. Well, that's that's one I wished I'd had on my list. Hmm. That's my runner up. Runners up from you guys. Uh, uh, I for broken glasses. I was going to choose Christmas Story. I shot my eye out. Wait, what? He shoots his eye yeah, out. Yeah, the whole the movie. He wants to have the Red Rider BB gun, and everybody's right, saying right. you'll shoot your eye, you shoot your eye out. And then he finally gets it for Christmas. He goes out to do a little target practice. He goes out against Black Bart. He shoots, and it ricochets back and hits him in the head, hits him in the glasses. He drops the glasses, and then he steps on them. And his whole thing is, oh, my God, the worst thing that could happen is breaking my glasses. So he has to come up with something on the spot, which is he tells his mom that an icicle fell on his face, and that's why it's last <laughs> um, But it's so whiny and cryy that I couldn't I, – I really couldn't stand it. Um, my, my favorite runner-up, though, uh, comes from my son. Uh, because I was thinking of glasses, of the glasses that Quicksilver is always putting on, but those are goggles. They're not tinted necessarily, but he's he's using oh. them as eye protection. So they're really not glasses. They're more eye protection. Um, and so I, I like that pick though because there's such a problem. There's just like a cool feature. Like you think he's going to be going so fast that exactly like stuff against his eyeballs would like it'd be like a motorcycle. Right, so yeah, right. times ten. So I sat down with my my son and I'm like, what do you think about that as a pick? And he goes, well, not really. I don't think these are glasses, but here's a good, here's a better one from a Quicksilver scene. And he came up. With this. Wait, real quick, we could say we don't know, Dingus. We don't know for sure whether or not there's any sort of corrective uh, glass in those right, goggles. Exactly, there might yeah. be. 
But his eyes are probably so fast that they can see any distance. They're made <laughs> out of vibranium. That That's yeah. how it works. Yeah, his his vibranium. Um, but but my but when I said that he's like no no there's a better part and and this is when and I don't know how he did this he's just got this great he's got this brain where he's like it's this particular moment from X Men Apocalypse <laughs> uh, oh good lord where uh, where uh, Quicksilver is is saving all the kids in the um, in the sweet dreams are made of this sequence uh, and he runs Hank McCoy who's Beast out of the building. And as he runs Hank McCoy out of the building, Hank, Hank McCoy's glasses are are flying off of his face, and uh, this bullet or some shard of something goes through one of the lenses and and breaks it as Quicksilver runs off screen. And uh, sure enough, I was like, are, "Are you sure?" And so I went and called up that scene, and and there it is. My kid was just like, "Yeah, this is a better glasses moment for Quicksilver because those are goggles." So this is that. So it just, it's when they're off. Like it, 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 Hank McCoy doesn't lose an eye. No, no. Uh, Hank McCoy's been rescued, but his glasses have flown off because an explosion has happened, and his glasses are flying through the air, and it's just a bit of visual trickery, or, or just uh, a, a beautiful visual where the glasses are are you know in that sort of slow mo quicksilver time, uh, something flies through one of the lenses and breaks it. It's it's just a great little beautiful moment that for some reason my kids just like yeah choose this moment instead. <laughs> Kelly Wand, true story. Dingus has seen X Men Apocalypse the same number of times he has seen Star Wars Force Awakens. <laughs> um, oh no, it's true. I know. Yeah, that's how he feels. That's a true thing. <sighs> Dang it, he hasn't seen it. <laughs> Go ahead, deny it. Just deny it. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So my other runner up is from Love and Death. Um, Oh my it's god. When, uh, Dingus, I'm sorry, we're when Woody Allen is sitting there talking with um, Diane Keaton and they're talking about the nature of God and uh, and, and Woody Allen's like, do you really think that if God existed, uh, I was created in his image? Um, do you think God wears glasses? And she goes, not with those frames. Okay, that, was, that, that works. I'm okay with that one. Hmm. <laughs> Kelly, one, you're still thinking about that one. Frames... <laughs> Not with those friends. Why? That's oh. <laughs> Woody Allen. I love that so much. Also, I love I love the glasses in Russian. And, and do you guys remember? Have you guys seen Papillon? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Very good, Dingus. Yeah, those are great well, little tiny. Yeah, my dad was a yeah. huge fan of that movie, and he made me watch it when I was young and I didn't quite get it but I just remember how difficult that whole glasses thing was for the Dustin Hoffman character um, so that would be that would be my major runner of the Papillon glasses but I couldn't watch that again this week so I you know I cannot bring myself to watch prison prison movies are just so oppressive yeah I know I, I keep thinking that maybe you should watch Um Profet but I don't think I, mean, I, think I know that's exactly that exact, thank you Dingus that's been such a sticking point mm-hmm. for me but you just, like what's the it's the it's the guy that did what? Why do I need to watch it? On I don't know. I think it's well done. I don't remember. I, I just remember the guy, uh, the the lead guy is the, is 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 one of the uh, Aborig- not Aborigines, but one of the guys in The Eagle, um, and I really like that actor. I can't remember. His name. Right, but no, the director of A Prophet is the is the reason I want to see it, and I forgot. Oh, and I can't remember movie. off the top of my head. Just when is it Rust and Bone? Oh yeah, you're right. It is Rust and Bone. But there's something else besides Rust and Bone. I'm going to type in. 
I'm not Googling this. I'm just accessing the files of my memory. Yeah. Uh, actually imprinted on your glasses. <laughs> Kelly Wan, do you have any runners-up while I struggle mightily to recall what the director of A Prophet did? Uh, Duchess and the Dirtwater Fox. This is George Siegel, Goldie oh, Hawn, <laughs> and some bandits uh, tie them out to get killed by the sun, and then Goldie Hawn makes him use his glasses to like heat the ropes that are binding them and then they get free and then they there's like a gunfight so that's kind of good huh. yeah also Harrison All Ford's right. eyeglasses in Mosquito Coast um okay yeah we'll accept that one <laughs> don't we haven't about right. that movie in a while yeah Diggis what is next week's 3x3 three three? what do you have oh. for us how can we participate <laughs> When you make that noise, Kelly Wan, is that Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's thinking that. <laughs> He'd be flattered. All right, th- this is um, this is inspired by a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, as as Tom uh, suggested earlier, I have seen Force Awakens as many times as, as I've seen X Men Apocalypse, because Jesus. for uh, Father's Day, my son gave me Force Awakens, and we watched it this week. And so, as they're going through that awesome battle. Um, where uh, I don't I don't remember what the name of the planet is, um, but where the the Tie Fighters Jakar? You seriously can't remember the name of Jakar? No, it's not Jakku. Oh, it's Jakku. not Jakar Jakku. either. Seriously, can't remember the name of the wrong planet's name. <laughs> I was Jakar. close. I got most of the letters correct. In there. Aladdin. <laughs> God. Never mind. Um, Idiot. I'll just edit that part out. But anyway, my my uh, my son goes, man, this battlefield is such a good battlefield. It's a really cool looking battlefield. And so he's and he turned to me and he goes, you should use that as one of your three by threes, best battlefield. And um and then we we had just watched uh, Game of Thrones the other night. Um so this is just uh, your ba- your favorite battlefields. Wait, you let Kieran watch Game of Thrones, but not. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? What? What's just the part where Daenerys walks out of uh, flames naked? Mm-hmm. Huh. That is interesting <laughs> to me. Huh. All right. Favorite battlefield. The thing is, the listeners are probably going, oh, yeah, this one and that one uh, and this okay. one. Uh, what if they wanted to have us read their picks on the air? All right. So the, if they want to have us read their picks on the air, that they should write into 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. That's 3x3 at Quarter to three, spelled out as words, uh, dot com. Um, and if you want to send in uh, some thoughts about next week's movie, please send them in. Which will be what, Dingus? Oh, good Lord. I don't even know. Jesus, Tom. What are we seeing? Are you serious? How can you not be excited? I'm excited. So no, I am gonna totally see excited him. to see this, actually. Oh, oh, you are? Yeah, I'm very excited to see this. It's and I'm wondering scary. if I can even uh, take my son to see it. I'm wondering. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I hope not. I mean, I hope it's not a kiddie movie. It's a total kiddie movie. Why would it be? You're not <laughs> Shut up, Kelly. What's wrong with you hope. both? You're weird. You're looking forward to it, and you're worried it's going to be too I'm looking to forward to it. I'm, I'm, I, I, independent. I, it was a, kind of a guilty pleasure for me, and I actually own the thing. I own the first it's like a, I think it's fine for Kiernan and someone half Kiernan's age. I was just <laughs> my, my prediction. Maybe but prenatal? But it's slightly above my pay grade. Uh, I am dreading this. Well, Kelly, Wand, I'm 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 going to probably be doing a uh, 
three for next uh, when I see Independence Day Resurgent, Resurgence, Resurgent, Resurgence, There's... whatever. Uh, two, we'll call it Independence Day two. Uh, Juan Colette Serra is doing a shark movie called The Shallows with Blake Lively. I can't wait to see. And here in L.A., Nicholas Winding Refn's horror movie Neon Demon. Uh, I don't know what open, that is. Which I, I want to see wait. The Shallows, but I didn't know what Neon Demon was. I don't either. It's just Nicholas Winding Refn. It's a horror movie, and I don't know anything else. I think it's a horror I movie. I got a lot of horror take anymore. Nicholas Winding Refn, Neon Demon. Wow. That's hard to say. Stupid Germany, man. So anyway, if if you guys want to write in about uh, your thoughts about um, <laughs> Independence Day resurgence, please send them in just with, with those words. And even though I, I dropped, <laughs> totally dropped the ball on Chris Markinson's awesome comments this week, I usually fold in as many comments as I can. So please do go see Independence Day. Write a couple things, even if it's just, uh, I really liked it. I thought Will Smith was awesome in it. And uh, and I'll uh, I'll try to to get those comments in. Uh, all right, so join us for that next week. We'll be doing that, and we'll be doing battlefields. Uh, maybe there might be picks. Has this ever happened where the movie that we're discussing that week makes it into a three by three? I don't think it has. It won't. Maybe next week. It might be the first time, Kelly. Wand. It might mm-hmm. happen. You don't know for sure. Yeah. You don't yeah. know. That Roland Emmerich. He can. You know that. Remember that movie, Twenty Twelve. See. How about Anonymous? Kelly Wand. Who can forget that? <laughs> they always right. go for the landmarks. <laughs> <laughs> I am Tom Chick. I've been joined this week by Christian Morosky. It's Christian Morosky. And we had Kelly Wand. White men, the only real battlefield is love. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Wow. <laughs> 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 Main characters. Yeah. Come on, what's the name of the band, you guys? White Snake. Snake. Thank you. Get it. There's no band named Jaguars. What was I gonna do? But no, at the end he's on his own. That's what I thought you were doing. Could have chosen death. Plus, the end of the movie. I have to say, Embrace of the Serpent reminded me a lot of a movie called The Perils of Gwendolyn, starring Tawny Katane. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Wow, it's a great culture, great movie. That's, it says the movie. Ooh. Here you go. This is a great part of the song. It's building. It's going to break. So here it comes. Here we go. Their childhood, right there. Uh, that's music. Yeah, beautiful. He's with Tony Container. He's not on his own. <sighs> Lucky bastard. Huh, Dingus? The Messiah's in a bad mood today. <sighs> Too much fire water. Mm. Too soon. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! Uh. (laughs) That's the most reasonable thing I've ever heard a white say. He's not white. Or do you mean what I said?